Advance After Combat. Okay, uh, welcome to the Advance After Combat podcast. This is a podcast about war games and war gaming and our experience do- doing and playing both. Uh, I'm Dave, and uh, this podcast is also brought to you by Jason. Hello. And our mystery host for this episode, who is Jesse. Hello. Welcome. Yeah, Thank welcome. you. Yes, yeah, so... Um, so basically what we do is it's the, each episode of the podcast is myself and Jason, uh, the bromance, and then we bring in a mystery uh, host from our guild that's on BGG, and then that mystery host uh, basically hosts the podcast with us. So we've been doing it for a while, and I think it's a lot of fun. So well, keeps it interesting, I think, whether or not anyone else is enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> As long as you guys have, are having fun, right? Yep. Yes, so, um, oh, and basically this is an explicit podcast. So, so you, can kind of, yeah, you can kind of figure out what that's going to entail. Jesse, are you planning on being pretty explicit? Just by the tone of your voice, I'm, I'm getting a real explicit vibe off of you. It depends. It, it may take me a while to, to get into it. Oh, yeah, don't just... Don't force it because <laughs> De- definitely not. Yeah, we've had input from people. They don't like it when they think that people are just trying to be explicit for ex- ex- explicit explicity, explicity's sake. Is that a word? Sure. It is now. So, so yeah, let it flow naturally. Are you uh, are you drinking at all, Jesse? Uh, not currently. I decided it was a little little too early, um, especially since I've got a napping two year old in the next room. <laughs> right. So, so basically, you um, you live on the East Coast, and so uh, for Jesse, we're doing this at two o'clock his time, uh, eleven in the morning our time, or is it noon your time, Jason? No, I'm on Pacific right now. Okay, yeah, our weird schedule. So, but but that does not stop me from drinking. So I will Sweet. be drinking. Good for you. So I'll try to drink it... as much for everybody else. So excellent. Yeah, I'll I'll start in about an hour. I just don't want the quality. To, That's to, right. To go down at all, so yeah, I feel the high standards to, we've set. Yeah, there has to be some drinking. So, are you not drinking anything, Jesse? Or are you just? I'm I, I'm not drinking anything currently, but uh, when we Nothing. take a break, I'll I'll grab something. Okay, good, because it's important to hydrate. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Make sure you do that. So, okay, so um, Jesse, you're the uh, mystery host, and I just wanted to ask you a few questions. Like, uh, what was your first war game you ever played? Well, so it depends on how you define war game. The first war game I played was uh, Warhammer 40,000, way back in second edition. Um, what is it on now? Like eighth edition? Something ridiculous. Is that like Rogue Trader? No, that was the one after Rogue Trader. It's okay. it's when when orcs were still silly. <laughs> like like you you had to buy red paint for your trucks, and they actually went faster and. Sure. They, you had your squig catapults and your pulsar rocket, and which which went you know xd six inches before exploding. The color of the the thing mattered. Yeah, to the, to the orcs it did. Huh. They thought that yep. if it was red, it would drive faster, and it red, red ones go faster. That's weird, and and it actually did. <laughs> it wasn't weird. It was awesome. Okay, um, yeah, that, that that also, yeah. But from from there, I uh, I picked up uh, Car Wars. Um, Car Wars Classic, I guess it's. I have I the version I started with is basically the same one they're reprinting. The same one they reprinted recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so played that with my with my younger brother, 
um, and then picked up Ogre GEV after that. And it wasn't really until I was in college that I started getting into into more war board games. But, and what, uh, kind of, what kind of made you make that transition? Just my interest level. So you were into you know, military history? No, no, I was into games, <laughs> computer games, and I liked the uh, the interaction, the human interaction with the, the board games have, and uh, and I just found that the military conflict was was more interesting to me than uh, you know shipping things across the Mediterranean. Yeah, but, uh, that's interesting. That's that that's kind of the same route I took. I got into it more from the the game perspective than the military history side. Yeah, See, that, I mean now the military history is awesome. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, when you first start off, it's I. I guess because I started young, right? I wasn't, you know, I was playing with army men, but I wasn't researching, you know, what battles in World War Two were were key, and and then it was like, oh, well, I can play this game on the Battle of the Bulge. I wonder what that was about. So in college, what was the first kind of war game that that you got interested in? Uh, let's see. Well, I found in my dorm's library an old copy of Squad Leader. <laughs> and pulled that down, and I was like, what the hell is this about? Read through the rules, and I thought it was pretty cool, and they had some other old Avalon Hill games. Um, they had Merchant of Venus and uh, the old Eon Cosmic Encounter. Mm-hmm. And... So uh, find, finding that in your dorm's library probably really locked it in for you with all the chicks at the dorms. Like they were like, <laughs> absolutely, that's the guy. They were on board. Well, yeah, I went to Caltech. Um, oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so yes. You know so, my my sister went to Caltech, and they had a uh, they had money set aside for dating. Like if you wanted to go out on a date <laughs> with another person from Caltech, there was like funding. Oh, like, that's hilarious. There was some you money got a grant. There. there was. They they don't do that anymore. Did you but, have to write um, a proposal? There, there were and... stories about it. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so explain <laughs> yeah. that, Jesse, because I thought that was fascinating. Well, so Caltech is um, is was when I went was two thirds male, one third female, so, and the female so the females are um, heavily outnumbered. And they, they have a saying that the uh, for the women, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's funny. Um, and, uh, and another thing uh, that happens there is uh, this, this thing called glomming. It's where a single, usually attractive female attracts basically a horde of, um, of kind of skeezy followers. Mm-hmm. They're not exactly stalkers, but they give off that vibe. Sure. It's all the staring. <laughs> yeah, and following around and just sort of hanging around. Uh, yeah, it's it's really bad. Like, like you know, at parties, there'll be, like, one girl dancing and then, like, six or seven guys standing around her, like, sort of dancing, but watching her. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, my, and my gross. Sis- yeah, my sister went there for grad school for aerospace engineering and uh, oh, yeah. she was going for her PhD and then after <laughs> one year she's like I'll just get my graduate degree and get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I ended up marrying a grad student, so very nice. 
that worked out for me. <laughs> yeah, so they so they have funds set aside. So basically, if you want to go out on a date to a movie or at the time or like dinner with another Caltech student, um, they would pay for it. Yeah, they they basically want their students to get out. Right. So so there's there's actually a lot of money set aside for for going out and doing stuff. Like if you have some kind of crazy idea, you can go to the the student body government and say hey i have this idea i want to go do it they'll be like uh sure here's some money yeah so, see i, I really think I, I i could have taken advantage of that if it wasn't yeah. for the, the classes yeah and the actual <laughs> or actually getting into it that <laughs> awesome. accepted yeah yeah could i've gotten a social scholarship maybe like i could have i don't know <laughs> maybe different I don't, I don't know if there were many social scholarships um, yep. There were there were scholarships for the the really smart people, mm-hmm. uh, the like the really really crazy smart people. I know. Oh man, there there is nothing like more soul crushing when you get to freshman orientation and they look out and they're like, half of your class is valedictorians, and you're like, uh yeah. oh shit, yeah, <laughs> yeah right, not me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have that memory at Duke when I was at my first math class, and uh, the teacher was, it was calculus or something. I wasn't really a math guy, but uh, the teacher, we had assigned homework, and at some point I raised my hand and said, are you going to go over the homework from yesterday? And he looks at me, and there's like a class of like 200 people. He goes, this is college. We don't go over homework in college. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. That's the last time I'll be speaking. <laughs> yeah. Hand down. <laughs> so... So yeah, yeah that, I, I can only imagine Caltech because everyone there is overachievers, and for most of them, probably uh, their their greatest uh, one of their greatest strengths is their academics and their their mind. And then suddenly you're thrown into a group where hey, everybody, that's their strength. So yeah, yeah, you you you, you kind of immediately split into the you know several groups of you know they're the people who are naturally crazy smart and just sort of coasting on a's at caltech right and then there are the people who are coasting on a's at high school and then get to caltech and they're barely passing sure right and then there you know there's everyone in between and and you know people who were coasting on a's in high school and are failing at caltech so yeah and then you get the guys who are are super smart and don't bathe like those people, like oh, the, the crazy smart people, like the ones that are literally crazy. So, yeah, but those guys are fun. <laughs> those are the guys like you walk into their room and it's it's like some sort of crazy science experiment gone wrong, and they're like, oh yeah, I was just hacking into some system, blah blah blah, or some punk tried to hack me, so I destroyed his computer. I'm like, how did you know where he lived? No, no, I just sent a virus that. Yeah ricked his hard drive i'm like what the fuck <laughs> that's fine stay on those guys good side so yeah. yeah so it seems to me like at caltech that would be some place where you could find guys that were interested in wargaming yeah Cause... and at the same time most gamers there were were way into magic mm. oh or like role-playing games maybe like more there into was like there was some role-playing yeah but but magic was like the big juggernaut um there, there's, there was actually this this group of old role players. They were like in their 40s, and it had gone to Caltech as undergrads, and they met in one of the the student activity centers um, every week. And you'd like pass by, and they were playing some heavily modified version of, you know, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition, and it was just like 
you guys graduated a long, long time ago, right? And they're like, yeah, but they're nice enough to let us keep playing here. It's like, okay. Reliving the glory. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, well, I think it's interesting. I never realized that uh, also for you too, Jason, that you're actually maybe more, you initially were more interested in the actual uh, aspect. The, the game, game mechanisms, aspect. yeah. Right, for the sure. mechanisms rather than the history behind the, the action. Yeah, that- yeah. I got so, into it kind of from wanting rules that made a little bit more sense and were a little bit more engaging than the, the Euro games I was playing. See, for, for me, I think it's the opposite because, like, I was thinking about this the other day when Ralph and I were doing uh, Next War Taiwan. So we're playing Next War Taiwan on Vassal, and I've got Next War Taiwan set up solo in my, in my game room. So I'm actually playing it at the same time twice. And, uh, you know, my wife will come in and she'll look at, like, the board and it's got cardboard pieces and things like this red cardboard she's like like if i try to explain it to her i'm like this cardboard piece is the chinese marines and they're trying to get it it just for her she doesn't really uh get it but in my mind it's not a cardboard piece it's it is uh, that thing. It, it's landing craft landing and smoke on the beach and chinese marines charging off their but i mean i'm seeing in my mind i don't see that the the cardboard shit i see like all these Chinese Marines landing, or if the aircraft are fighting, I'm not seeing my 630 aircraft can roll on this chart and beat your 322. <laughs> I'm seeing like a dogfight battle between the, the, the planes, you know? Sure. Yeah. Like, are you guys more of the game or more of the, the imagery behind the game, I guess, in your mind's eye? It depends on the game. Um, like some games the i actually i guess it depends kind of on the map right cuz cuz if i can if it feels like a birds eye view then i'm totally there do the and counters it, do the counters matter does the counter art matter a little bit um well, like like when i'm playing napoleon's triumph right and you've got those those red you know red and blue blocks right and it looks like an old map like it i totally see you know, lines of infantry and cavalry and artillery just going at it. But when I'm playing, like, um, No Retreat, the Russian Front, I I just see counters cause, because of the scale of the map and the scale of the counters. I mean, a counter is an army, and I can't picture that one square piece being a freaking huge army, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's interesting for me, too, because my dad is a, a big-time reenactor, and he's very into the uniforms and all that stuff. So there's, And he's a huge military history guy, like has the, had the complete ORs for both the, for the Civil War. And, uh, but when I would try to introduce him to the games, like I would bring games, or sometimes I would buy him a game for his birthday and set it up. He just, it never really bit with him, and I guess maybe he just doesn't have the same like mind's eye image of what's going on. Like he doesn't make the connection between the game, what's happening in the game and maybe what's happening in your imagination. I don't know. Yeah. That's well, interesting. I, but, yeah. I mean, as a reenactor, you're, you're in that, you know, you're not in a bird's eye view. Something that might work with him is like, is like uh upfront or maybe even combat commander. I just don't think he has the imagination for it though. I think, I think some people can't, get past the whole idea where it's we're playing a game 
Do they can't uh, they can't get absorbed into the role that they're actually in. Like I'm I'm Robert Lee Lee. Can I can I do can I do things differently or change history? They're like I'm playing a game versus this other guy, and I don't know. Yeah, and that that's probably my problem. I don't have the imagination for it. I I like the story of it, but I don't picture the the counters as units. I'll get right. tied into them emotionally sometimes, but I don't I don't have the the that kind of mind's eye view of what's going on. I'm I'm still engaged in the mechanisms of what's happening, churning through the story, but but not as as immersed I think as as you get, Dave. Well, and it's strange too because I I like some of the games I like are very complex where like say like La Bataille or ASL uh, where they're walking you through what's happening as opposed to you imagining what's happening. I think as a game gets more abstract, like, Hey, you just roll a die and whoever wins wins. Uh, and then maybe in your mind, you have to come up with the narrative about what happened. These more complex games kind of spell and write out what's going on, like explicitly for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that means I have less imagination when it comes to those deals. So I need to be kind of walked through it or I don't know. I don't know. Cause yeah, it, it, Okay, go ahead, Jesse. I was just. I, I think that that just paints a more rich picture, right? Like you can imagine guys fighting in something like the you know victory point game, Napoleonic Twenties, right? Right. But when you're playing Labatai, like you know what formation they're in, you know who's commanding them, you know. Right. You Maybe it spoon can... feeds me a little bit better. Like it's like this cuirassier squadron just smashed into the square because I see that physically happening on the map. Exactly. You bounced your brigade bounced off that brigade and here's what might have happened, you know, as it, who knows. Cause I mean, especially with my girls, my girls are very into uh, fantasy books and like, but they're not really into military history. So like when I play a uh, history game for them, it seems more like they're playing a game, but we recently started doing a little bit of like a uh, role playing. Cause I was curious to see how they would react to it. And uh, they really enjoyed it because for them, I think their, their imagination leans more towards fantasy type stuff and less towards, historical stuff sure so that's cool that they're getting into that yeah i don't know is it cool i'm not sure i think it would oh, help it's it's, with... it's definitely cool and, and just think you know they'll they'll have their pick of the of the guys at the game Cal- store at caltech <laughs> yeah seriously Jeez. yeah they uh yeah, they're the money limited makers. the pool as that is <laughs> yeah they're you know i was a little hesitant because i was kind of like i wasn't sure if they were too young where they would be uh you know going around the school and I don't know. I just thought I didn't want to turn them into those girls too early. Like maybe when they're older and a little more confident, but they are pretty confident. So we'll see. <laughs> well, it's yeah, not I the seventies. Their, their teachers aren't going to turn them in for witchcraft. Yeah. Okay. You know, what's funny too. Um, I, they're my oldest third grade teacher. Uh, she's really good. But when we first got assigned her, the uh, teacher that the a teacher that we know is a first grade teacher came up and said, Oh, oh you got her. Oh, she's kind of a nerd. And I was like, my wife told me that, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's what I want for the teacher. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't want a cool chick. As yeah. a teacher. I want." And when I was at the parent teacher, oh, she was saying that the teacher was the, a nerd. The, the incoming teacher oh, was a nerd. I thought she was saying that about your daughter. I was going to say, "Yeah, you should no, have her job." No, no. Uh, she uh, she said that about the teacher. She said kind of like, "Oh, she's she's a nerd." She told my wife that. I'm like, "Awesome. That's yeah, what sweet. I want to teach my kid." Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Is she a nerd? Does she like to read? <laughs> 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 Do math. And uh, 
and I'm talking to her at the parent-teacher conference, and she, we started talking about the fact that uh, my oldest is really strong reader, reads way above her grade level. And so the concern, though, is she's going to start reading books that might be too mature for her uh, because she, she basically, she's in third grade. She went through the whole Harry Potter series. She's really been blazing through stuff, but you want to watch out what they're reading because they can get to stuff that's a little bit too old for them. Uh, and she, she started talking about she, she likes Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and she named her daughter Trillian. <laughs> and I was, like, <laughs> I was like, what an awesome teacher. Best teacher ever. <laughs> Like so, you should come hang out with us after my daughter's not in your class. Oh yeah, I thought it was totally cool, and I'm like, yeah, that's why you want a nerd to teach your kids because she's awesome. She's a great teacher. That's cool. So, yeah, yeah that's that's, it. that's a hardcore fan naming your kids after something. Yeah, not yeah. Zaphod. You name your kids Zaphod, and I'll be impressed. <laughs> well, I I had a I had some friends uh, in college. I I did a little of the, the SCA stuff. Are you guys familiar mm-hmm. with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Society for Creative Anachronism, and right. uh, I I apparently no, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. No, no, they're no. historical. <laughs> they're historical. Oh, so sorry. They have <laughs> hardcore right. people who who won't use anything that wasn't around when their character is supposed to be from, like no plastic, mm-hmm. no antibiotics. <laughs> no, I saw, right. Yeah, no, no, no vaccines. Just, <laughs> no, no, just, just um, well, they're you know at doing the stuff but um well i've seen i've seen stuff down at Strategicon where they do the fighting sometimes oh yeah down at lax they but i don't think they have real weapons i think they have like uh no they have, they have foam weapons stuff, yeah, yeah. S- sca uses like hard wood weapons and um and yeah you you have to wear armor like okay. real armor uh anyway so i i apparently um introduced these two people together and they got married and and they said if they had a girl, they'd name her George, and if they had a boy, they'd name him Elizabeth. And they had a girl wow. and named her George. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And, and I think they technically named her Georgia, but still. Yeah. Well, <laughs> wow. That's a gift that you've given to your child. Yes, and it will keep giving. Yes, yeah. right, exactly. Well, that's better than the normal thing they do now where everyone thinks they're cool when you give your kid a biblical name and then change one random vowel in the name so no one ever knows how to spell your kid's name. They're like, oh, no, my kid's spelled – his name's Adam. I'm like, yeah. They're like, no, A-D-E-M. I'm like, oh, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's Adem. <laughs> no, it's pronounced Adam. I'm like, it's not pronounced anywhere. That's not a real name. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a thing. <laughs> that's not a common name. There's no common spelling. So, yeah. Right. Although the, my ex named her daughter Ryan. Oh, how would she spell it? Just R-Y-A-N-N. Which apparently is a girl A-N-N? Yeah. Isn't that Rian? Uh, it's Ryan, apparently. I don't know. No, Jesse, that's super clever. That means you're, like, super clever if you do that with a name. Yeah, I don't get it. If you add a random letter or, oh, you're so smart. Yeah. It drives me absolutely batshit. Yep. Cannot stand it. All right. Not a fan. So uh, Jesse, when you did the uh, the SCA stuff, what did what did you do? Were you like a, a particular character? Or? Uh, yeah, I was I was Sven, the um, the Finnish mercenary in eleventh century Andalusia, working for the Caliphate. And was there anyone else in your group that was representing the Caliphate? No, it was just that was just the time period and the area I chose. So, what would you do with these things? I would just dress up and walk around and have fun okay and then there's there was, big, there was big, lots big, of drinking 
Is the rena- like the Renaissance Fair and stuff? It's or? kind of it's kind of like like what you might imagine the Ren Fair is like after all the normal people go home. <laughs> oh wow, that's I mean, do <laughs> that's they a good time? In, do they set up in like a park or something? Yeah, yeah. State parks usually they they have wars and uh, you know there'll be like hundreds of hundreds of people on a side, you wow. know, hitting each other and trying to take objectives and. So in L.A. County, where did they set up? Uh, let's see. There's uh, Estrella, which is down near San Diego. Um, and then all the all the hardcore fans are, are like, no, this guy wasn't in it. I, I, it's been, I it's didn't been go to many. Years. Oh, really? But, um, well, the hardcore fans are setting up outside the Watts Community Center to do this. And they don't have electricity, so they're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. The really hardcore fans don't listen to podcasts <laughs> because that would be anachronistic. What is this voice from the heavens? <laughs> so you, you guys would all show up and you would do a big fight and battle it out. Some people would fight. Some people would just chill out. Yeah, I'd want to be like a merchant or a, like an innkeeper. I don't want to. I don't want to fight. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. There, uh, you can be an artisan. You can be, um, yeah. If you don't like fighting, there you can be a an artisan, and there's a now, actually are a these, separate. Are, way are these to events advance. similar? Are these events similar to the Ren Fair, where they are a a boon for uh, uh, busty heavy women? Like it is a fashion that is, you know, that's always seems at the Ren Fair. The the busty heavy gal is, my is part. given a fashion gift by the the period. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part of the run fair. The wenches. Well, it's, yeah, it's it's busty heavy women and you know big bears of a guy. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's got the 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 push up busty outfit and a big turkey leg. <laughs> that's all you need. Turkey leg. I might need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Have to cool down over here. All right, so uh, okay, now that's that. That was some a serious garbage time exploration there. So uh, in the in the, <laughs> uh, what what are you playing currently? Like, what do you think Jesse is like your favorite current war game that you're playing? Uh, to get us back on track because this is a professional operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. no, I'm playing a, a nice long play by email of uh, Empire of the Sun, which is I think I've I think I almost understand it now that we're you know five turns in. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Five but, uh, of how many? It's a long game, right? It's uh, eleven turns. Oh, okay, that's not. Yeah, isn't that come? Is that the one that's coming up on pre-order? I think I have yes. that on pre-order. Yeah, the new version has a lot of. Uh, they've, they've changed a bunch of. They didn't change a bunch of stuff. They've just improved a bunch of stuff. Like um, they've made some counters more clear. They've clarified some language on cards. Stuff like that. And also not designed by the guys who made Liberty Roads, just for the record. <laughs> for the record, if not, anyone was not the same guys. It's it's a Mark Herman joint. Judgy assholes. I know, seriously. <laughs> Can't get everything right. Jesus Christ, it's three hours long. <laughs> There's a lot of shit being spewed. Uh, so that's are you, are you doing any other games besides that? Or I mean, is there one game right now? Is that the one game that's kind of your, your go-to game? Uh, I don't really have a go-to game. I... Whatever, Whatever people are, are playing, uh, I've been uh, playing uh, SPQR with with Rick on on uh, online lately. That that's really fun. 
Yeah, that seems like that'd be a great game. It it is. Um, Are, is he teaching you? Yes. And is he is he a gentle teacher? <laughs> uh, yeah. Insofar as rampaging elephants can be gentle. <laughs> so do you, you feel know, like was, now is he teaching you or is he grooming you? What do you feel? Which way? Teaching well, or grooming? It's definitely teaching. no because because he you know he plays the whole series and he's like i don't know if i remember the specifics for spqr versus you know gaelic wars or right they do change right yeah they keep yeah all of them changes between them yeah yeah because because we we actually started by playing um you know the the great battles of history alicia siege oh that's right which is just brutal on the on the Gauls. It's, it's ridiculous. You just like run the stack up to the to the battlements and and then you die. Right. And then you run some more guys up and and then they die. <laughs> so you're you're trying to raise the terrain level with the bodies of your previous attacks. See if you can essentially. Wall, right? Yeah, you've you've basically got to get you know three guys killed there before you can get through. <laughs> That's cool. And and that. Did you did you end up meeting Rick through the guild? Is that how you ended up getting hooked up with him? Yep, yep, on the the guild uh, vassal list. It's very nice. Yeah. So once again, there you go. So, and uh, I know Rick Rick has helped a lot of guys learn a lot of different games. So, I, I and we kind of have a lot of people too. Sometimes I I notice they come on the BGG and maybe they haven't played a lot of war games or they're they're getting into it and they haven't hooked up with opponents because they don't have any near where they live. But if you get on the guild and you start posting this stuff, you can meet guys and you'll meet vassal opponents because we have a vassal opponent finder list that you can get on. And uh, vassal is absolutely a great way to, uh, I think, play some of these games, especially if you live in an area where uh, guys aren't wargaming. You don't have any opponents. So Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I, I'm playing uh, some fab from the, some of the fast action battle series with, with Steve from the guild, too. Nice. Uh, we played we played through Sicily until I, I forget if I won or I lost. I think I lost. It was it was brutal. And then we're playing um, Bulge right now, and he he's so close to winning. It's <laughs> going to be close. So Jesse, do you own any uh, podcast T-shirts? I I do not. Oh, what? I haven't. None of the designs speak to me. Not, not even the rainbow kitten farting tanks? <laughs> not even that one. Dude, i got to tell you, I, I've got a couple I wear. Nothing gets more comments more than the rainbow kitten yeah, farting tanks. people are astounded people by it. Is, is there like, like a unicorn, but instead of a horn, it's like an armor-piercing tank gun shell? <laughs> oh, wow. That sounds, like, that sounds like one we got to design. <laughs> that'll, that'll probably be up tomorrow. Yeah. So, <laughs> No, the, I I think I'd buy that one. We we got a dog and we have the dog trainer come over to the house and so we're we're doing the the work with the dog, and uh, I won't get into what a nightmare the dog is. Whatever. Uh, the trainer at one point I noticed she's looking and I'm worried. <laughs> 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 she spends a lot of time with animals, but she and my they're never quite sure. Like, is the cat farting <laughs> on the tanks? I'm like, no, the tanks are literally they're coming, coming out. out. <laughs> 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 well, I'm just, and some people are just afraid to even ask. They just, but I noticed she was like fixating on the t-shirt. Yeah, I don't even say anything. I just let them stare. It's such a cute kitten, and like it's just there's tanks coming out of its butt. Yep. So, just curious. So that's it. So no t-shirts, huh? We're gonna have to fix that, Jesse. Come on. Yeah. 
be part of the team. We make just throw up make, the link on where I can where I can buy buy them. Yeah, it's it's called it's on the guild homepage, buddy. So just check it out. <laughs> it's <sitting> there. <laughs> They're all right there. But, but thanks for. Thanks for being... <laughs> yeah, and we get zero dollars. Zero dollars out of it. Jason, the last calculation is that what we're making off the t-shirt? Yep, zero? still zero. Okay. And I actually I liked uh, Tyler's one where the North Koreans are worshiping Westmoreland. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, it's a little conceited for me to wear that shirt. No. You don't think that that's... I feel like... Oh, I think Dave cut out. Can you not hear sounds... me? Oh, there you are. Yeah. No, it, it just there... sounds like there's a tank in the background. Yeah, that's a motorcycle right outside of my house. Jason, uh, how is that possible? No matter where you move, these guys drag race outside your house? Yeah. Wow. I'm, yeah, I'm a mag- magnet for it. Aren't they supposed to wait until night at least? One would think... Yeah, we were hoping with the early start. Yeah. That was the big thing we were hoping for. Less background noise, but... No such luck. All right, yeah, so I was saying I, th- I felt like wearing that one might be weird. Because technically, I'm... Is that me, or are they worshipping Westmoreland? Not, they're not worshipping them. They're looking towards them. saluting to him. I thought it was weird. Yeah. I, I think it's probably you. I like the shirt, though. Yeah. It's, it's not posted. He should, he should post a link. Well, he did send the link once in the March gaming... That he had it? He did do a link for it, but whatever. Okay, all right. So, anyway, we have a quiz. Oh, yeah. Okay. Jesse, just so you know, the quiz is uh, totally optional. You don't have to take it. I don't know. Okay. If you, uh, so. That's good because I'm, I'm not going to take it. Sweet. Oh, wow. Nice. All right. In, so instead, now. instead, I actually have a quiz for you guys. Oh, no. oh come on. Don't make <laughs> okay, so. So I can make this the April quiz then. <laughs> yes, yes, you get to save that quiz, but but I I I did write a quiz of of my own for you guys. You're giving and the, the intern a break. And and by the way, for the listeners and potential mystery hosts, yeah, he did this. We're going to go along with it. We're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so don't everybody try to write up a quiz for us. Okay, that's fine. Okay. okay. Um, Is this both of us taking it? Yeah, yeah, yeah both yeah. of you together. Because I think I think these are hard questions. They may be super easy for you guys. With each other. We'll see. Okay. Okay. The the first question uh, touches on some stuff we we hardly ever talk about. Uh, the The Three Kingdoms is a famous period in Chinese history that began with the fall of the Han Dynasty. Name the three empires this period is named after, and the dynasty that ended it. Jason, do you have any guesses for this? I'm racking my brain. I want to say one is like woo or something Correct. like that. Oh, no, you can't. Don't let me Shelton you. I, you just totally let me Ralph Shelton you. <laughs> He's talking out loud, Jesse. You got to get your game. You, but I'll, I'll take the yes answer. There you go. All right. So how many total answers for this question? There are four. Four. All right. Do we, is, Jason, this is, we're, we're, we're clean. Do you think, like Ming Dynasty is Ming maybe one? Or am I, I think thinking that like was later, too, much right? Flash Gordon, too much Flash Gordon? I think Ming was a dynasty. I think that was later, though. Because my next guesses were Ling and Ping. <laughs> <laughs> these, are not, these are not pandas. <laughs> Honestly, pandas, not, not a bad place to go. And, uh, the, so, every single answer is one syllable. So it's so, Wu is one, so, right? 
And and uh-huh. so assume that and they're not going to they're not going to right? chew. Do you want to do chew or shoe? I think it's shoe. All right, I'm shoe at, it is. I'm looking at my journey to the west and wondering if it's in there. And uh, let's not guess Wu Min Jensen because <laughs> I don't think that's going to help. That one, that one, yeah, that's German. That's not Chinese. <laughs> there's there's too many Swedish <laughs> in there. Uh, wow. Lays them through. We're doing way better than I thought. So we got okay. Shu and Wu. Uh huh. That's all now, I got. Now, Jason, you don't want to guess Poo? <laughs> yes. Or or Moo? I don't know. I don't know. I think we're up. Oh, how about Han? Han Dynasty. There you go. We'll guess uh, that. Han Dynasty? It, it began with the fall of the Han Dynasty, but um, I was looking for the dynasty that came after the Three Kingdoms. Was, was the Han Dynasty, was that actually in the sentence you read for us for the question? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I thought I actually pulled that. Out of my ass. <laughs> that that would have been awesome. But, uh, no. Okay. Uh, last two guesses? Uh... I thought we made like seven. No, no, we haven't. We we've guessed three. We've discussed several. Oh, okay. We we've we've guessed three, and there's four potential answers. Yes. Okay, so we have one more guess. Um, hmm. What about pay? Like P E? Do we want to guess that one, Jason? Sure. Pay. Okay. No. Oh, you shit. missed way. Oh God damn it! So Wei, Shu, and Wu were the three states that were the three kingdoms. Okay. And then the, the Jin dynasty mm. ended it. Oh, wow. Jin, you think I would have guessed that? Seriously. Just from Hend- Hendrix Jin, but no. <sighs> okay, so... You know, got... I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> 50%. Nor should you. Got two, two of four so far. Next That's question. The North, the North American North colonies North. were a proxy extension of several yep. European wars... Name at least two European conflicts and their distinct North American names. Okay. All right, so, Jason, let's go over this one. Uh, French and Indian War, Mm -hmm. and I know there was Queen Anne's War. Okay, but you also have to tell me the name of the European conflict. Yeah, that's fine. So I think the – and we're we're just – Jason and I are talking about this. We're, We're huddling right now. I want to say Queen Anne's War is going to be the War of Austrian Succession, and I think the French and Indian War is the War of Spanish Succession. Nope, other way around. Uh, French and Indian... Shit, son of a bitch. One of them is the Seven Years' War. Let's see. Seven Years' War, probably... Jason, yeah, do you think that's... Seven Years' War and the French and Indian War yeah. is the same war? Yeah. So Queen Anne's War is probably the, the War of Austrian Succession. Okay. Because obviously when the war of Spanish succession was fought, there really wasn't anything in the New World. That was like uh, 1706 around then. So we good at those? Yep. Okay, so... Uh, French- no. Oh, the my. French and Indian War is the Seven Years' War. You got right. those two correct. Right. But Queen Anne's War was the War of Spanish, Spanish succession. <laughs> but we did... Spanish, not Austrian. So, but do we get Spanish. three? Did we get three out of four? So you get three out of four. It's not bad. And the the other conflict you could have gone with was King William's War, which was the Nine Year War. Okay, so there was no colonial fighting during the War of Austrian Succession. Not that I could find. Okay. So what was King William's War was the European the nine name or war. the one here? Some that other was the war. North American name. Okay. 
It was the Nine okay. Years' War in Europe. Oh, I thought we were going to get that one. I thought we were yeah. going to get it. All right. I would have also accepted uh, Third Indian War, Second Intercontinental War. First Intercontinental War or Second Indian War. When there's <laughs> a about, bunch of uh, numbers about, and stuff, I don't. I, my brain shuts down. I know, right? <laughs> Intercontinental War 2.5? No. Beta? Well, I felt like we could have swept that one, and I felt like I'd let you down. Yeah, sure. Austria-Spain, it was, it was same difference. Yeah, three out of four. All right. I just didn't think there'd be that much fighting in the colonies during the, the early 1700s. But, right? And and Queen Anne's, the Spanish War of Spanish Succession, was the third Indian War in North America. Crazy. Hmm. Yeah. I thought we okay. were going to split the continent 50-50 with the Indians. Jeez, who knew there was all this fighting? I thought we had a deal. <laughs> okay, so you're doing, you're doing quite well. You've got... Um, we're above five hundred. Five out of eight. Yeah, there you go. Okay. the The next question has four answers, but there's a possibility of a bonus point as well. Okay. Um, actually, it has five answers, but you only need to name four. Five yeah. American aircraft carriers were sunk in World War II. Name four of them. Mm. Uh, after declaration. In totality. Well, what, do you think an aircraft carrier was was sunk at Pearl Harbor? No, I'm just what? I'm just getting clarification. Okay, all right. So, so Jason, we're huddling now. Uh, this is going to be Lex- all you. <laughs> oh, come on. No, I'll help you think through it. But the, the Lexington sunk, right? Didn't the Lady Lex sink? I don't know. Uh, so we have four parentheses five. That I mean the fifth one's probably like an escort carrier or something crazy like that. Shit. I'm just gonna Jason, can you name do you do you specifically know any ones that sunk? No. Alright. So I can name some aircraft carriers. I, I'm pretty sure the Lexington sunk. Okay. There's the Hornet. Oh, what the fuck? It's it's sad. You can tell which sides I generally play that I can name more Japanese aircraft carriers than <laughs> American aircraft carriers. So, Jason, you're not going to help me at all. No, I have no idea. <laughs> this is this is way outside my wheelhouse. Oh shit! Some Lexington Hornet. God damn it! Yeah, naval is not really my thing. Yeah. Lexington Hornet. You can't name me any aircraft World War Two aircraft carriers. No, no. Still, <laughs> still not. Okay, uh, so there's a Hornet. Does that mean there's a Wasp? <laughs> Can you go down that route? I know I'm going to kick myself when this is done. Um, okay, so I'm going to guess the Lexington. Correct. Okay, so that gives us one. I just wanted one in the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to guess the Hornet. Correct. Okay. Yes. Jesus. Let's see. Now, I, I, the problem is I keep the midway keeps getting in my head because I've been on the midway, but clearly since I've stood yeah, on it, it's yeah. not at the bottom of the, <laughs> the ocean. And I don't think the midway actually fought in World War II. I think it was uh, one of the heavy carriers that never saw combat. Yeah. Yeah, my buddy was actually stationed on that. 
Let's see. Uh, thanks, Jason. That's a great help right now. Yeah, I, hey. Focus <laughs> I, I, if you had said that it sunk, I would have said no, because I know are that you, one. Are you saying that because you want to do a, uh, what do they do it like the, the rescue line? You <laughs> phone a friend. Yeah, phone a friend. <laughs> Shit, the Lexington Hornet. What the fuck? The Coral Sea? No. Oh, I don't even know if that's an aircraft carrier. Uh, so that's three. So we've got two more answers that we can guess because i'm just gonna no no get... you have one you have one more guess and then there's like a bonus question oh so you haven't asked us the bonus question yet not yet okay so i've got one more guess um god there's tons of names of shit that are coming up <laughs> how many sunk a lot he said four five sunk five sunk five. only have Batan. The Batan. No. Okay. I don't know. If you had said Wasp as a guess, you would have been correct. Oh! Come <laughs> on. So the five aircraft carriers that were sunk were Hornet, Lexington, Princeton, Wasp, and Yorktown. Hmm. Here is the bonus question. Out of those five, all but one were sunk with the aid of aerial bombing or torpedoing. Which one was sunk solely by another naval craft? It's a 25% guess. 20%. Uh, yeah, so... So, Jason, he said the Yorktown. What was the other one he said? <clears throat> Lexington? No, I said that one, dipshit. Hornet, <laughs> Lexington, he, he, he Princeton, Wasp, Princeton. Yorktown. That's, that's the Princeton. Prince the Princeton. No, it was the Wasp. I would have said Wasp. It, it will always be the wasp, Dave. <laughs> Again, the wasp comes back. <laughs> yeah, the wasp was sunk by a U-boat. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I knew. I was pretty sure one of them was sunk by a sub. But... Yeah, all the others were sunk by uh, aircraft in and maybe uh, naval units. Huh. <clears throat> but we okay. got two, we got two right. Yeah, yeah. Good. So you have, uh, you have seven out of twelve. All right, it's not bad. No, we're doing okay. Okay. Uh, now this is getting into more modern stuff. Okay. I might good. be able to help. There we go. Cuba provided troops and or aid for many foreign conflicts during the Cold War. Name four of these conflicts that did not take place in Central or South America. So we have to name the war or the country? Uh, I will accept either. Okay. Because... Jason, we're talking. Uh, Angola is definitely one. Yeah. I don't Because um, they were in the so, Congo, too, right? So you said not Central America? Not, not Central or South America. Yeah, I think Congo's separate. Sure. Oh, so Angola, Congo. Uh, Rhodesia? I'm going to guess Rhodesia. I think that's a good, unless you have another guess. Um, Angola, Congo, Rhodesia. But there's got to be other places. Oh, how about uh, the Yom Kippur War? Do you think they sent advisors to Egypt? It, advisors, but troops? Are we talking troops or just advisors? Troops and or advisors. Oh, I would definitely. What do you think? Egypt? We're just spitballing. Yeah, right I mean, it's a possibility. Were they in Afghanistan then? Um, that was 
are we doing any kind of year? Is there a time nope. period here? Okay. Shit. Hmm. God, were they in Afghanistan? But the Soviets were in there, right? So it could be. Yeah, think think of conflicts where the Soviets didn't want to mm. be directly involved. Because yeah. right. Angola is going to be versus South Africa. Uh, I, and I'm, I know they were involved in that because mm. I read enough Soldier Fortune magazine. When I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so are you are you saying Angola and South Africa? Yes, I am saying that, Jesse. I don't know. We so we have Congo, Angola. Here's our guesses right now. Yom Kippur. I like, I like have, those three. We have Angola, Congo, Egypt, South Africa, and Rhodesia as guesses. Okay. Well, so you only had to name four, and you did name four that were conflicts. So there was the Eritrean War, the Angolan War of Independence, okay. the Angolan Civil War. Oh, for fuck's sake. The South African Border War, which was separate from the two Angolan Wars. The Congo Crisis. The Yom Kippur War. There we go. Nice. The Ogaden War between Somalia and Ethiopia. And Vietnam. Wow. There are reports that there were Cuban advisors helping the North Vietnamese. So do we get get full credit for that? You get full credit for that one. That was good teamwork. That was good teamwork. The bromance comes through. <laughs> huh, Vietnam. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. Have they ever confirmed? Weren't there, weren't there, the, wasn't the idea that the pilots for, for some of the, uh, the North Vietnamese aircraft were actually like Russians? Yeah, I don't think it was ever confirmed. I think they're still waiting for North Vietnam to open their books up. Oh, wow. Yeah, Russia doesn't want to admit that. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> that, that happened uh, in... Let's see. That happened in the the Six Day War, and Russia was um, <laughs> Russia was embarrassed. embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, uh, live and let well, live. Right. Point, right. Well, I mean, let's be honest. It's uh, from World War II. They just recently opened the books on what happened at Prokhorovka outside Kursk. So it's yeah. like <laughs> that's like seventy years ago. Jeez. That whole okay. investigation was like completely classified. Yeah. Okay. So again, as as okay. Kevin Stark would say, the mystery host is getting us back on track. With what we're doing, <laughs> right? Uh, don't get me started on solar power. I'll go off. On, <laughs> I'll, guys, selling me solar power. Thirty minute off, chunk on solar power. I'll go off for like five minutes about it. All right. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Last question. All right. Those damn Brits named Perfect. four ongoing, currently ongoing conflicts that were a direct result of British decolonization after World War II. Oh, wow. A direct result. Pretty much a direct mm. result. They left. Fighting started. Yeah. I don't know. This sounds kind of uh, soapboxy. So let's see. Uh, I mean, are, are India and I, Pakistan I, I still only, fighting? We usually rely on rock-solid sources like Wikipedia for our, uh, our quizzes. That is where I got my nice. rock-solid answers. Um Damn you, Wikipedia. Such a fickle mistress. So it's not necessarily between countries. Just so basically, just the fighting. Brits pulled out and... and fighting now, what's started. your definition of fighting? Would you say the fighting in Hong Kong is fighting? Like the current situation in Hong Kong? Uh, no. That would not qualify. Okay. L- let me just say, the, these 
conflicts started right after the Brits left after World War II and have been going on ever since. Wow. All right, so let's look at what countries... Uh, were the Brits in Syria, Jason? Uh, oh, Palestine's definitely one. Would you consider what's going on in Palestine yeah, fighting? I, I would, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Palestine's definitely one. What about, like, um, Rwanda, Somalia, that kind of thing? Were they were they in those areas? I think so. It seems it seems like they would be. I don't know. Why? Just because they're British and they stick their nose into mm-hmm. places? Yeah. Like yeah, that seems like something. Afghanistan, wouldn't they? In Afghanistan. But Afghanistan were... is like fights everyone. They've been fighting the entire time. Yeah, that's true. India, Pakistan. India, Pakistan. That's that's the one I said. Would you would yep. you count that? Okay. Yeah, I know it's fighting. It's still going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's two. Palestine, India, Pakistan. Uh, they're still in the uh, the Falkland Islands, so that doesn't count. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher single-handedly won that war. Have you ever seen the uh, what's that uh, what's that driving show where they do the the Oh, Top, top Gear? Top Gear. Have you ever seen the Top Gear where they tried to go do a soccer game in the the uh, in Argentina? No, no. that sounds oh, hilarious. Dude, they tried to drive across. They couldn't even get into Argentina. They tried to come in, I think, from Chile, and they drive these like Porsches over rocks and everything. <laughs> oh, my and, gosh. Uh, they're still so pissed about the uh, Falklands that a mob starts throwing rocks. One of their uh, cars had a license plate that said 82, like FLK or something. <laughs> On the wow. back, never forget. So as they're showing the episodes, uh, they they pick up on this license plate, and these mobs start coming out and throwing rocks at all the cars. They had to pull the entire team, the entire film crew, out of Argentina and abandon all the vehicles there. Jeez, it was that dangerous. Wow. And I didn't realize they were that upset about the islands, but apparently they are. They, there's there. I, where was it? where did I hear this? There there's like a a cartoon about some heroic Argentinian during the Falklands War, currently airing in Argentina. Wow. A cartoon. Yeah, and everyone living on the islands is British. And they voted, and they voted to stay British. But it's like, you know, I guess now it's becoming an oil issue because there's oil in the area or something. So, All right, so back to, so Palestine, come on, come on, Jesse, you got to keep me in track. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Okay. Palestine, India, Pakistan. Uh, Ireland doesn't count because they're, they're still, still there. there. Yeah. What other areas are they pulled out of? South Africa wouldn't count. Rhodesia wouldn't count. Shit. Malaysia? Is Malaysia? South- yeah, well... Um, uh, it sounded like he had yeah, shelter. <laughs> not, not Malaysia. But the problem is, the question is, I'm, like, are you talking full-blown war? Like, people are fighting? Like, like shooting at each other all the time? Or, like, insurgency-type stuff? Well, let me, let me go check the Wikipedia site. Mm. Okay, w- one of them is currently under 1,000 deaths per year, but over 100. Oh, hey, what about those little islands like Sri Lanka and stuff, Jason? Do you think, isn't there a bunch of fighting on some of those islands? I mean, it would make sense, but 
Nothing I could name off the top of my head. Well, we'll okay, I need I need two more guesses. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna guess Sri Lanka. Nope. Shit. And uh, and you said Malaysia, right? No, no, we didn't guess Malaysia. But but for the so, sake somewhere of down trying there. to work. So Hong Kong didn't count. They weren't in the Philippines. Uh, trying to think. What about Thailand? Yeah, that's what I'm Burma, wondering. Burma, Burma. Uh, fuck. It this does... sounds pretty close. Oh, jeez, he's such a good. He's, you're you're the best host. You're... <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go. Let's go with uh, like. Do you want to say Thailand? Because I don't know. I don't know of any fighting want... going on there. Let's just guess Burma. Burma is, is he... correct. Is it even called Burma? Isn't it Kampuchea? Or something? It's Myanmar. Myanmar. Yeah. Which one's Kampuchea? Did I dream that up? Did I, did <laughs> Maybe I, that's I, a city somewhere. No, the, Isn't the, that a Starbucks drink? <laughs> <laughs> so you took Burma. You accepted Burma. Yes. The, right. the internal conflict in Burma is one of the world's longest running civil wars. Right. Wow. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the other one is Balochistan. Mm is an ongoing conflict between Baloch nationalists and the wow. governments of Pakistan and Iran in the good. Balochistan region. Jesse, good call to speed us up on that one, because that one was not coming. Yeah, that's, <laughs> no, yeah. Balochistan was never coming, but but you, you got Burma. So so you, gentlemen, end with a score of 16 out of 20. Not bad. That was a hard quiz, so there, everybody. In fact, that... Jesse could have made it a lot easier on us. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been appreciated. <laughs> Jason, permission to treat the uh, mystery host as a hostile witness? <laughs> all right. Wow, so that was a rig turnaround. I hope everyone's uh, all happy and giggling about that. Let's never see that happen again. Please. That'll be, uh... wow. Never again. Mm. Hey, so Jesse, one of the things that people probably don't know about you is... Uh, you're a good designer of vassal modules. I um, I dabble, yes. <laughs> so you're able to you're able to take a module and kind of set it up for a, a game that's coming out. Now I know some companies do that on their own, but I know we have another. We also have the duck who in the guild who's pretty seems pretty good at setting. Yeah, them up. yeah, he he did that Hazam module. So nice. so just as you know i don't i'm not really experienced with it yeah, what I kind wanna, of process do you have to go yeah, through, give, through as far give as us an overview because the whole thing seems like magic to me i mean basically you guys take an existing module and kind of cannibalize it basically that that's that's a lot of what i do okay um you basically find a module that does something you like and then you go in and you see how it does it and the way vassal works is if you know Java, you can do all sorts of crazy awesome shit, but I don't know Java, so I just do the normal stuff it lets me do. Mm. And, and, so and how do you edit it? What, what right. program do you use to edit it? You use Vassal. Oh, really? oh okay. Jason, I've, I've actually edited modules before. That might you be frightening. You can go in but and I've you can edit, edit a module, <laughs> and you need images for a board, and you just you sit, click select image, and it click on the image it loads it up you can say put a hex grid on this number the hexes you can name points if you're on a point to point map then you can name counters you can say i want to be able to flip this counter so you put a, a mask on it and 
you know, you select what buttons do what things, and pretty much everything has a built-in um, built-in command in Vassal. So if you want to rotate, you can choose how many different rotations it does. You know, whether it's you know left, right, down, up, or whether it's you know you, anything in a 360 degrees, or whether it's six hex sides and uh, you can, you know, you can do subcommands and sort of, you know, say make one command do a bunch of stuff at the same time. Now, let let me ask you a, a question, uh, Jesse, and this might be a favor. Actually, I'm asking you, but <laughs> you know, the 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 guild is we love that uh, Vietnam '65 to '75 game by Victory Games, and it's yes. got a great module. Bunch of like subroutines are in there that handle pacification and will calculate the combat for you. The problem is the combat, what I've noticed, is occasionally does not calculate it correctly. Interesting. As far as is it possible that you could take a look at it and see what's if there needs to be some tweaks? Because it's it's nice when you have the big these big uh, subroutines within the, the module that will run through. I mean, having it handle pacification is huge, and having to be where you can just plug in your factors with with uh, halos and everything, it'll run it through. But I've I've noticed you have to watch it because occasionally it'll give you a result that's not supported by the actual CRT. Interesting. So is it possible you could take a look at that module for us and, and yeah yeah I can take a look at that um, because it's a great module. I mean, Jason, have you played the Vassal yeah, module? Yeah, we played it together. Right, so it's it yeah, does it's so a lot easy of to get heavy spoiled. Like, so easy to get spoiled by good modules. Mm-hmm. Like you, you play another game and it doesn't have whatever that other module had, but it, you know you're supposed to do the same thing, and you're like, why isn't there a button? Oh, it, it runs pacification. It does the coups for you. It calculates the changes in political alliances between the South Vietnamese leaders. It's really great. But the problem is, like I said, occasionally you'll you'll run run through combat and you say, wait a second, that's not what the loss was supposed to actually be. So then you can't trust it. So then you have to now you're just <laughs> checking every time. Yeah. So if you could, yeah, look at that, we'd appreciate it. I'll take a look, but but there's a a good chance that it's just a. Uh, some funny thing that I can't mess with without breaking the entire calculation system. You know, like like if if um, if it's set to only look in a certain area for units, and you have one unit outside that's supporting it, it may not catch that. No, the subroutine is basically where you punch in all the details, and and basically hit go, and then it calculates it. It's not looking at what what the actual units are. You're just entering factors in and then yeah. it, it shoots it out the other end oh like a spreadsheet right so you're basically saying like this many combat factors this much halo this much air power here's what he has and then you punch it through and then it gives you a result and it's not oh. calculating the result correctly all the time like sometimes you... it won't tell you if you lose a helicopter like like sometimes you lose a helicopter based on the die roll or you might lose an air point and uh, it won't catch that for you so then you think you're fine and then you realize later on oh, i should have lost an air mobile point Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. You could probably check it out and fix it yourself, too. Yeah, but I have a podcast to run, so I don't need to <laughs> oh, work. Oh, right. We're busy right. people. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. And then the other thing I want to talk to you about, too, is the magnets. Let's talk about the vertical <laughs> magnets, because this is very exciting for people. Now, I have a pretty big game room, um, because I live in the desert, so I can afford to have large areas. Uh, but uh, for guys who want to have a vertical metal 
thing up on their wall where they maybe don't have the table space. And I'm losing my game room, so I'm very interested. Oh, yeah, but you did that to yourself. No, my wife did that to me. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, and no, a surgeon you, did that you definitely me. did that to yourself. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, you went through a lot to get there, so let's that. see. So, when are we looking for a due date for this kid? I, I don't know. Um, the problem is, like, no, no, the more no. I look into it, the more no, I realize... Jesse, this is a question for Jason. That, unless, Jesse, are you intimately familiar when, with when this baby was conceived? Because this is a question for Jason. <laughs> Jason, Sorry. when did you try the, the, the end of the end of August? No, I actually would like to also hear what Jesse has to say about this. The key is not in May or June. My biggest <laughs> concern when you first told me that you're having a kid, I don't want any birthdays in May or June. Why is that? Well, it's, oh, it's, 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 world. it's your third kid, right? You can, yeah, you can phone that one in, man. Yeah, I am. I am already campaigning to go to GMT. West in the fall, if uh, that's the way to do if it. If Constant World doesn't doesn't work out, even though I'll have a two month old, because the plan is Constant World, thing. and then we'll do GMT West in the fall. Yeah, that'll be our regular rotation. Yeah, I've already planned out your social future I for the next. That. Someone Every needs dec- to. I'm not gonna. For the next decade, that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry. What the fuck? Tell were we us talking about the about? magnets. Oh, the magnets, vertical magnets. Here we go. Yeah, so I, maybe August. <laughs> Jesse, sell it. <laughs> You'll like so, launch in August also. So the image that the just the fact that so you were there, several years ago, several years ago, I was like counter magnets. That sounds really awesome. Let me see how much they are, and then I could not find them for sale anywhere. And so I thought, well, I can just make my own, and I looked at what was out there, I'm like, oh, well, I can make some that, that you can flip over. And so I designed something made out of, you know, acrylic with glued acrylic on either side that was basically like a, a top loader for a counter with magnets in it. Um, but that was going to be cost prohibitive. Um, so fast forward a few years, um, I'm working somewhere where I have access to a, a 3D printer and... Um, I thought, hey, maybe I can do something with this. And I printed some some test pieces. And um, I don't actually have a magnetic playing surface. So I'm, I was like, uh, <laughs> who, who plays on a magnetic surface that other people would listen to? And um, people suggested Kev Sharp or Marco Arnaud-No, though. Right. And... Um, I sent, you know, geek mails to both of them and Kev responded immediately and was seemed totally cool about it and Marco was like Marco was cool about it but not not as enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. So I sent Kev some and he's like these are okay but they're too big cuz they they were I mean I made them really chunky um, cuz I wanted them to be easy to use and you know to be able to hold any kind of counter mm-hmm. um so i shrunk it down and those are the ones he he posted on his site the big board and that i've posted on the the guild page and i think there's a thread in the wargame um forum that i know all of our guildies love mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah there's so, some magic happening over there uh yeah. so b- basically you know it uses two magnets um 
There we go. Let's let's uh, talk about the actual thing. <laughs> yeah, he uses uses two magnets, uh, of one flipped upside down essentially. So when you flip it, it will still attach to the one below it, no problem. Um, so you can flip them, uh, which is nice because you can't do that with the old ones. Um, so basically, it's got two grippers that you can kind of push the counter into, right? And then the yeah, it's like a little claw. Right. It's like a double claw like kind of. And then uh and so you can stack them up on each other, right? So you could have a stack coming out. Yep. And when you flip they're not going to repel each other. They will not repel each other. They will attract each other. It's very fancy. And uh yeah, so Jesse, there, but, I just I just told you what you need your marketing guy to say. That's basically <laughs> like that boiled down your whole story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like if you don't have a magnetic playing surface, why did you even want this in the first place? Well, hold on, what the fuck are you talking about magnetic? It's just metal. Right. Well, I, I don't, I, yeah, but I don't have a metal playing surface. Yeah, I, I actually magnetic recently got one. Surface. You don't need a magnetic playing surface. You need a fucking metal playing surface. Right. That, that's... <laughs> Something that's, that the magnet will stick to. That's that's what I mean. It's metal, right? Well, I right. mean, magnetic is going to be expensive. The yes. metal plane surface is the big surface that you want, right? So, yeah, yeah, and you can you can get that. You can actually get like um, metal uh, contact paper for you know twenty bucks a roll, and it'll cover a decent size. I'm gonna have to have something like that. Or can't you just get a piece of metal and just drill it into yes. your wall? Yes, mm-hmm. you can do that too. Because I think metal contact paper can be a little bit pricey. I mean, if uh, you're yeah. talking about a big game. Right, right. I mean, I'm not Kev Sharp. I don't have a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I don't has, has that software money. In good old lacrosse <laughs> games. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, but Kev. yeah, so... so uh, well, so initially it was I was looking into um, into you know just fixing these ridiculous stacks of counters in some games because oh that makes sense and, and so you I was would like, just oh, play it on a table but yeah people can just yeah. can just use it on the table that and they'll you know the counters will stack nicely every oh time. I don't like shit like that right because the, yeah. yeah you can't knock the stack over no. because they'll just sit. That's cool. That had right. never occurred to me that there's like kind of a, a horizontal solution here, that, that there's actually an, an advantage to using that. Right. Because I yeah. always if thought you, it's if, just if, the idea that you'd have the map set up on your wall and you could put the counters there, but, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, so, you know, if you knock the stack over, the whole stack falls instead of, you know, scattering everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have so, a great, yeah. Yeah, so then... Then I was like, well, what else can I do with this? And, um, and so I came up with the, the current version, which works pretty well. Um, and it basically looks like there's, there's two little grippers, and you put the counter in the grippers, and then the yep. back part of the, the, the piece has the magnet in it. The magnets actually go through the entire thickness. Oh, wow. Okay. And, so, and so they're poking out. A little bit both sides, and so right, but they're you, in the rear, away from the gripper. So there's yeah. like a back end. Okay. Yes. Yeah, there's sort of the the hand part of the gripper instead of the fingers. Oh, that's cool. And that, that and has and the magnets. And you have different sizes where you can stick different counters in. Yeah, you. I can size them for any counter. I I've made them for uh, half inch, five eighths. 
three quarters, seven eighths, and one inch. Are they um, a pain in the ass to put together to assemble? Yeah, they kind of are, and that's that's the biggest hurdle right now is just the labor. <laughs> right. Because you know, even if the magnets and the uh, plastic are you know a few pennies each, the the labor is um, cost prohibitive. Cost prohibitive, yeah. <laughs> so like, what are you what are you thinking about per unit as far as cost? Well, I, I wanna I want to price them at twenty five cents each, and you know even even at that, you know pe- people have been saying that's kind of pricey, and I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess it is. If if you're if you have you know Case Blue, or the Devil's Cauldron, and you want to magnetize it, mm-hmm. you're talking you know a couple hundred bucks in mm-hmm. counter magnets that you've never yeah, played the, with before. The one thing I would say for pricing is uh, you're not going to be selling to the cheapos. I mean, the, the guys who are going to buy this product are going to be the guys who are at the higher end of the market as far as gamers. Because um, the cheapo guys are never going to think that it's affordable yeah. <laughs> to do it. Uh, uh, but I mean, I mean, if, if, you've, if you've put, you know, two, three hundred bucks into buying Case Blue, mm-hmm. you're probably willing to put another two or three hundred bucks into actually getting <laughs> it played. Right, yeah. but that's what I'm talking about. I'm saying those guys are going to be the high end of the wargaming crowd. Yeah. You're not going to get guys that are going to pay 300 for Case Blue and then pay another 300 for an accessory that lets them play it on their wall, you know. But guys that are have that kind of disposable income, I'm just saying as far as pricing, right? Be aware of who's critiquing the price because some of those guys that are critiquing the price they're are never going to buy it, buy it anyway. anyway. Yeah. Right. No so matter what, right. no matter how cheap it's it is. Talking shit. The yeah. guys. I mean, really, if you have a product that works well and does the best job in this type of thing, there's guys that'll probably pay whatever you want mm-hmm. for. It. You know, because they want that. That's, yeah, I mean, and, that, that's my hope anyway. And those kind so. of junky old ones, they were going for 30, 40 cents a piece on yeah, eBay, they, right? I've, like, I've been watching them on eBay. They, the average price is, is 40 cents yeah, so. each. And you can't um, flip. You can't flip, and they, they actually they, hide a little bit of the sides of the yeah, counters, I more, mean, more so up. than... And we, are you using like rare earth magnets? Is that what you're? Yes. Yeah. So it's going to be they're going to retain they're going to retain their magnet. I mean, basically, once you get them, they're good for anything. Yeah, yeah essentially. And they're not going to wear out. It's not like the old magnet card where it would lose its magnetism after a while. Those rare earth magnets are <laughs> and very then you strong. can say rare earth all the time, which is yes. you know worth or, twenty-five or cents. Or you could they're they're neodymium. There you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, no, and 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 call I mean, crystals. can you call them crystals? Can you say there's magic crystals? Throw crystals in there. Or magic, magic crystals. Power. Crystalline neodymium. There you go. <laughs> with with the force of a thousand magnets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you, like a guy like Kev, I think would pay for that. Yeah. And I would I would buy those eventually if I had. I don't need the vertical stuff, but uh, but yeah, I, I like the idea of of I th- I think. You have a market there for guys that are willing to pay for the quality of it. Yep. So, right. And right. the guys so, that complain are not the guys that are going to buy it anyway. Yeah, screw so, those guys. Yeah. Now, now I just need to come up with the money to to actually start a business and throw a Kickstarter. <laughs> and yeah. and to hire a marketing person because. Let's, yeah. Or or figure out all the marketing stuff on my own. Yeah. Good luck with that, Jesse. Well, I, I mean, listen to your pitch. Or or we need to practice the pitch a little bit. You guys probably. So, is this something you think you could make money on, or is this something you think like would be a great business venture? Or? No, it's no. not a great business venture. It's, it's something I could make 
you know, you know, four or five dollars an hour on, on wow. the side. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's more than we make. It sounds like my miniature painting business, yeah. <laughs> right? So lasted for three years. It turned one of my favorite hobbies into a miserable experience. Just <laughs> when you start to hate the wargaming, then stop the business. That's yeah. the time to put the business to sleep. Right. Right. So, yeah. I, I I don't I don't imagine it doing that. But uh, but yeah, I mean yeah. there there are a bunch of cool things I've been playing with. Um, yeah, but once you get the three D printer, then you can just take that. Well, exactly, and I've or, I've, or I've maybe printed some uh, some tweezers. I mean, there you go. You could make That's with a the 3D printer a robot that puts the stupid magnets together. Just build yeah, that. I've, I've, I've been working on that. Yeah, the 3D printer. That's the secret to everything. Yeah. My brother-in-law's <laughs> obsessed with 3D printers. He thinks they're the greatest thing ever. They're pretty cool. Yeah, he's just cool. every time he comes over, he shows me pictures of like the different miniatures they make, but they look like shit. Like they're, yes. you know, they don't do a good job with miniatures. They they can. It just takes twice as long. And the, the, there are printers out there that do really a really great job with um, with miniatures, but they right. cost five times as much. Mm-hmm. Right. The uh, the form one, uh, like the the DLP and the laser uh, resin printers, those yeah, those, those really do some crazy well, awesome so this, this is what i would say if you're gonna and again i'm a you definitely want to get your your business strategies from me because i'm a complete fucking idiot but uh <laughs> if you're gonna do them i would say charge exactly what what it uh costs to make a profit off of it don't do it as a charity don't don't underpay yourself the guys who really want it will pay good money for it yep. but the deal is you have to guarantee them that this will be forever so if you have one that wears out and doesn't work anymore we will replace it free of charge yeah. So, so that way they know if I buy 300 of these, I will always have 300. And then the next year, maybe I want 50 more. And then it becomes less you know, expensive for them to ex- expand their collection. But I definitely right. think you have to be like, I'll replace it. Because their concern is always it's, they want a lifetime investment in this. So, Even right. if they never use them. Right. It's just if it wears out, we'll replace it. Absolutely. Yeah. No questions asked. That's what I would say. Well, I, I need to do some more testing to make sure I can... <laughs> that they don't wear out too quickly. Yeah. And do not sell lifetime subscriptions to magazines. I've learned that from SPI. <laughs> <laughs> or or lifetime subscriptions to your uh, your products line like uh, Valley did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bad idea. So. Well, no, it's a great idea if you want money that you never have to pay right. out. deliver on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way to back back end your entire company and, and oh god, submerge it. Hmm. I'm still waiting for my copy of Upfront. Up front. It'll it'll come any day now, I swear. We are selling lifetime subscriptions to this podcast, so just in case anybody's interested, we are going to offer those So, at the current current going rate. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, uh, well, that's cool. I think that's a really great idea. That sounds really exciting about the magnets. I, I, I had thought of, I basically just considered the vertical aspect. I'd never thought about the fact that it might be cool to use horizontally on a, a normal tabletop yeah, but that's interesting yeah and and actually um when what i have here at home is i i just bought um a 24 by 36 inch uh, magnetic whiteboard from costco for mm-hmm. 20 bucks mm-hmm. so you so put that on the table you can play horizontally and then put it up playing with the, the clips you when you finish if you want to save it for next week you just hang it on the wall it's but out you, of the way but again, like I've said, you don't even need a magnetic table. You could have a metal table. It'll yes. work on a metal table. Yes. So 
because the clips and and there's no resistance. There's no repelling or no, no. If if you put them, if you put them on a non-magnetic table, really close together, sometimes they attract a little bit if they're mm-hmm. next to each other, but not as much as not so much. You need to worry about it. Okay, that's cool. I see. So using a magnetic surface sticks them more strongly to the map surface. Yeah, prevents them from sticking to each other as much. And then uh, you basically you would put your map over that surface, and then on top of the map is where you're moving all the guys. Yep. Okay. Will well, it work with plexi? Like if you have. I, I oh, have yet to try that. It's um, probably worth a shot. Well, so the the old chunky style had much bigger magnets, and those would work through plexi, like thin plexi, mm-hmm. like poster frame, mm-hmm. cheap poster frame plexi. But the the current size, in order to you know, in order to fit a counter and the magnet inside one of those you know old old, or even you know just one of the smaller um, five eighths hexes, I needed to size down the the clip and the magnets. Mm-hmm. So that's a little a little trickier. They're not as strong. Okay. You, you might, stack you might not need the plexi though because the magnets themselves will keep the map flat. Yes. Yeah, I'm just thinking from a perspective, from a protection standpoint. From a protection yep. standpoint, I mean the I, I've heard stories about how the old magnets would smear it and stuff, but I mean the, these are you know nickel plated magnets and either ABS or PLA plastic, and there's nothing right. else it's not on them. Okay. I mean, cool. I'm gonna try dishwashing some soon. <laughs> <laughs> put dishwasher. Well, I, I think them. it's a great idea because I have looked at it quite a few times for some of these games. I have right because because you're like I have no table big enough, but mm-hmm. I do have a wall big enough, yeah. right? So no, I always thought it was a great idea, and I think that's cool that you finally come up with something. Yeah. I think I'll we'll... back it. Cool. Although yeah. Dave will have to wait because he's against Kickstarter, so I'll have to wait until after the. the well, no, I'll, I'll put a place. I'll put a special. Uh, I I was you know I've been thinking about kickstarter stuff and it's like okay well there'll be a you know five bucks gets you 10 clips just to try out mm. oh that's a good idea oh i thought you were going to say like if you pledge this taser. much we'll send a free set to the the host of the <laughs> Grand Set of combat oh, i can i can do that I too will pledge at that okay, level yeah. that that would be cool <laughs> double <laughs> up yeah. cool the... so uh we're looking forward to it so it'll, it'll play... be like one of those charity kickstarters where it's mm-hmm. like you know, a hundred bucks buys buys you fifty and fifty for a needy podcast host. Yep. Kick, kick it <laughs> forward, or stock options will give you stock options in the podcast. Oh, brilliant! That's a losing, losing. Get in low. Yeah, you want to get in low when it's not worth anything. They <laughs> 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 say buy low. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really low. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, Jason, have you been playing any games lately? Uh, playing nineteen eighty nine on Vassal. Okay, any other games? Uh, yeah, I'm still playing that, I should say. Um, <laughs> no, we didn't have a Fire in the Lake session this month for some reason. Um, we all just got busy. Uh, and then I played a little bit of Downtown today, and I'll continue. Um, I'm, I'm going to make an effort to play, actually, more games next month. So, Jesse, I'll be looking at you and Mitch to play Downtown on Vassal. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, Jesse, you mentioned some of the games you played with Rick. Uh, any specifics about those games, how they've been going? Or... Uh, Alicia, we, we actually switched sides a couple times, and um, the Romans just, just kicked the Gauls' ass. So 
don't I unless you're gonna play the player's game, which takes several hours, don't even bother. Hmm. Um SPQR is awesome. Yeah, it seems to go, be the one that go, everyone kinda looks at. Go play well, it. <laughs> well yeah, that's the one that's got the line commands and like the, the legions actually work how you think the legions would work. You have yep. to like work around their command system. I thought that was the coolest game, so yeah, and, and it's it's one of those things where, like, you see the rule book and it's, you know, 40 pages or something, and you're like, oh, shit. And then once you start playing, it's like, oh, this is this makes way more sense when you're... It's one of those games that makes way more sense when you're playing it than when you're reading the rules. Yeah. Do you think, like, for me, the, do you think GMT's pricing, the way they work their sales and everything, hurts their sales? Like, when I see a game, like, for, for example, when I wanted to buy uh, La Retour... I, I saw it was available. I canceled my my order of uh, Alexander for GBOH, and and ordered La Retour because I was just like, I know I can go back for the uh, GMT sale later and get it at fifty percent off. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they they used to do like um, P five hundred exclusives. Um, like and, I know and, for Combat Commander, there there were a couple a I mean, few they have scenarios that. That they got. If you do a pre-order, you get a fifty percent off. But I know if I go to the convention, I can get them for fifty percent off. So why would I even pay a pre-order cost for a game? Well, and and this is this is the same argument for Kickstarter, because you want to see it made. If there's a game on there that you absolutely want made, and you want it made the highest quality possible, you you back it, you pre-order it. And, yeah, but you know, once, it, it, once it's hit its 500, then why do I care? I should just pull out and buy it later on a sale. Well, if it only hits 500, GMT will only print, say, 1500. Right. And then it's going to be harder to find. And if it goes out of print, it's going to be way more expensive on the secondary market. If 900 people pre order it, they're going to print 3,000 of them. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be easier to find on the secondary market. And it's going to go out of print a lot less quickly. But like for the GBOH titles, I just don't see the point in pre-ordering them because I think they get enough support anyway that I can just wait and get them at a much. And I it also That's, uh, for for the reprints, yeah, you're probably right. And it occurred to me too when I saw with NWS when they said they were dropping GMT, and uh, I guess now they're dropping MMP products. So I don't know what the hell Chris is going to sell. Yeah, that's uh, weird. Selling but, selling military miniatures. Well, basically, based on distribution, you know, it's like when you're a, when you're a company and you're going to have products now, uh, and then the, the 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 you know the wholesale company is going to say, oh, we're knocking fifty percent off the price, and you're stuck. Like, why would you ever buy a GMT game from a store when you know you just can wait for the sale and get them for fifty percent off from from them directly? Yeah, yeah, I. I it seems like I a strange pricing model. Well, it works for them, right? And. As long as they keep printing games, I'm not going to complain about anything they do because they print a lot of war games. They print the quality games. I'll right. complain about some of the things they do. Quality components. You can complain about all sorts of other stuff like rules editing and rules reviewing and rules, rules, rules. <laughs> but, but um, I, I know, just think it's. I think it's a. Very, I just think it's a very strange pricing model because for me, I found that I will bail on their stuff because I know I can get it later cheaper. And even if they do sell out, big deal. I can buy it on eBay, like close to the price, or you know, it's it's it just seems weird. Like if I was a retailer, I think it would bug me the way they handle their product. Yeah, 
Yeah, it would probably bug me. I mean, yeah, they're, they they're false the sale. Either, so it doesn't well, matter. and their their false sale is clever because the people who are getting fifty percent are people who did pre-order things and received those pre-orders, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Otherwise, you only get fifty percent off of one item. Or, or, but Jesse, or I drive up to Hanford for the convention, and then I get fifty percent off on everything I pick off the shelves. Right. So that's, a, that's a pretty limited number but, of people. But I was going to say, how how big is GMT West? Maybe a hundred people. Maybe you have to be Hanford adjacent, a <laughs> hand selected group of people. Believe me, I'm I'm kicking myself for not of going not going when I was living in the area. But no, man, we could have rolled up there. Would you would have had a dip. You had a dip cup. I would have had a dip cup. We would have been great. No, no, Parked no dipping. Up. That's gross. <laughs> you would have had a dip cup. You would have been signaling think, for a ride from someone else. I think, I think Jesse, young impressionable Jesse, might have turned out to be a very different guy. <laughs> Bad influence. Okay, so uh, so I've been playing Next War Taiwan. Yep. Uh, I played with Ralph, so I've been playing on on Vassal with Ralph, and uh, you know, the game, I love it, I'm really into it, but you really have to immerse yourself in it, because there are a lot of special rules with the Taiwan game, and there's a lot of bouncing back and forth between the game-specific rules Mm -hmm. and the standard rules, so my first, we ran a, I ran a first strike phase, and I launched my invasion on Taiwan, and then basically after that, I had to say, uh, we need to do a redo because I already discovered through going through the rules that I was completely screwed. Hmm. So I tried to invade the southern side of the island, and then he had left the port unguarded. So I tried to send air mobile guys in to grab that, and they got completely crushed by the Taiwanese <laughs> ground forces. So uh, we we then got together on Friday and we redid it again. And this time I landed on the western shore. And I managed to get some of my airborne guys to actually land. So some advice I would give for people who are playing Next War Taiwan, especially as the Chinese, is you need to hammer the detection and SAM track of the Taiwanese every chance you get. Like your best stuff should always be hammering those tracks because you have to really reduce their air detection because otherwise they always intercept and, and start to push back your airborne guys. Like any kind of result on an airborne or air mobile movement will abort them so it means that your marines are basically left alone (laughs) the other thing we did was uh we used the naval air defense net rules which is uh, the weird thing is initially the marine forces the chinese have that they land have no headquarters with them so uh even though i had like overwhelming air supremacy uh because there were no headquarters, technically, according to the rules, the Chinese only get local air defense, which was ridiculous because they had like three AMFs and two surface air groups, or surface action groups, off the right off the shore. There was a giant landing force, and it was like that force couldn't provide any kind of like air defense for the Marines. So there's an optional rule that lets you provide the uh, lets the ships provide a, like a zone of air defense support around them so you can bring a ship in close to the shore and then the ship's air protection kind of protects the invaders so so we did it again with my western landing was much better and uh i think that game is going a little bit better than the first one that i had to do a redo on so yeah that's it was is, was there anything in like the the player notes warning against not a western landing <laughs> Uh, well, actually, Mitch told me he, prefer- he the southern landing was the bad one. The western landing is the good one. Uh, the advantage of the western landing is you can land, 
And then you can put airborne guys in the rough areas to the north to keep the... There's basically three rock cores, or Taiwanese cores, that are they're divided among the islands, divided into thirds. So by landing airborne guys north of the landing area, you can keep that northern core from coming in to try to interrupt your... to try to attack your beachhead. So uh, it's cool. I mean, it's, a, it's still a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. And it's one of those games where we play, and next morning I wake up, I'm like, oh, I wish I could just play it again. Like, I wish we could just keep <laughs> playing. So, so we're going to do it at Consum World. We're going to do Linked, Next War Korea, and Next War Taiwan. Oh, Damn. man. It's going to be me, Samer, Ralph, and the Duck. So it should be fun. Sounds cool. And already, Are you gonna... already Samer's got, he's been able to enjoy all the, the sarcastic, nasty emails between the entire group as we're getting the game ready. You should uh, you should tack uh, next war, India Pakistan onto the end of that. Yeah, we'll see when it comes out in 2016. Well, I'm sure Mitch could get you a, a playtest copy at Consim. Uh, we're having yeah. enough. We're gonna have enough of a challenge fitting <laughs> together. So fair um, enough. But yeah, it's been fun. We've really enjoyed it. It's great. I, I have a lot of fun with it. And uh, but you do have to really like basically we'll have like five or six rule questions each time we play. And it's funny, too, because Paul Klimstra, who's been on the uh, Guild, uh, has been sitting in. So he's, he's kind of a new guy, but he's enjoying hanging out and just talking with us. So uh, we've had some new Guild members also have been watching the game. So occasionally Kev Sharp shows up with a glass of bourbon and Very nice. watches play on Vassal. So. Nice. Yeah, it's strangely engaging to watch people play. I'm not into It's the engaging. Watching. I'm well, not into it. it. No, I, Jesse. I mean, you like it. I don't. I don't really. It's hard for me to focus. No, it's just kind of. I mean, you're just kind of sitting around shooting the shit with guys. Right. It. I mean, it depends on whether you're the only one watching. That's a little weird. <laughs> that seems voyeuristic. It's yeah. like maybe that's why I like it. Uh and then so masturbating, yeah. masturbating to the game is wrong. Of course, that's absolutely oh, wrong. Oh, wrong. Okay. okay. So not, Let me not write okay. that down. <laughs> yes. To Note to self when Jason is Jason <laughs> watching the game I'm playing. Yeah. When using Jason's keyboard. Uh, All right, get it. All right. So, uh, so I, yeah, I'm not into really watching the guys play as much. That that doesn't. I have trouble focusing. I think. So, like, I wouldn't just sit there and watch a vassal game. Can you guys? You guys can do that. Call in on Skype and yeah, yeah. I've never done it. Well, it do, like you do that. At, do Do you ever go up and watch people play in real life, like at, at Strategicon or whatever? Yeah, but that's live. You know, I'm just I'm standing there. Um, I I have gone on just to rag on guys, but like I don't know to watch the game play. It seems like if I'm doing that, maybe I should go be playing the game. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but if you, I mean, like, I I won't necessarily sit there for the whole thing, but I'll drop in and say hello and sit around for thirty or forty minutes. But you can't play a game in that time. Yeah, but I've got games set up, so I'll just go play a turn. Yeah, so. You know what I mean? Like, so Jesse, will you get on and watch watch other guys? Occasionally, when I'm when I happen to be at the computer at the time, mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. I need some distraction. Yeah, I guess maybe that's the difference too. Like, I'm not really in front of the computer. Like, if I'm on my iPad, like if I'm commenting on the guild, usually it's because we're watching like Real Housewives of 
whatever <laughs> county, and I'm on the iPad. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. So, uh, but for me to go upstairs and sit on the computer is is more of a devoted like here we're gonna, I'm going to play something or so. I don't know if I'd do that and just watch, but I'm not judging. No, don't, don't judge. I think it's great too when people come on. I like having people watch and comment. I mean, that's always fun. But like Jason, what games have you watched? I don't know. So you don't. You, I'll just. You, I'll you, just it's you it's been a while since I've done it, but right. it's I enjoy it when I get the chance. All right. What about you, Jesse? What games have you watched recently? Uh, what did I watch recently? It's been a little while since I've watched anything. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So both of you guys are it's talking. It's not something about... I do every month, but it's but it's enjoyable when we do it. When? When, <laughs> when have you done it? I right. did it with you and Marshall. You guys were playing a game. I jumped on for a little bit. And... What was that? Like a year? That was like a year ago. All right. All right. Moving on. Reviews. <laughs> reviews. The segue to reviews. All right, Jesse. You have a game you want to review? I I do. Um, and I have a problem because I decided I was going to review this game if I ever got on the podcast, but now it's kind of a shill because they're running a Kickstarter. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. No, go ahead. Maybe we'll we'll be extra critical. Is it Airborne Commander? No, no, no. It's, it's attack vector tactical. Wow, hmm. I have no idea what that is. Is it a it's, current Kickstarter? The the game has been out for years, and they're kickstarting a uh, a iPad um, Android hmm. helper program for the game because it's complicated as fuck. <laughs> there it is. Um, I'm I'm gonna say right off the bat that this this game is maybe two beers, maybe. Okay. It's uh, it's fully 3D space combat with realistic everything um, and Newtonian physics. Sweet. Okay. Uh, and they they hide a lot of the math, but you still have to do a bunch. So you have your your ship in in three dimensions, and you build up thrust vectors and uh, you know move around and, and is this is this one on one ship duels you can do one on one ship duels you can do uh, small fleet actions but small fleet actions take a really long time to play sure. okay so like a one on it's made for the dogfight basically it's made for the dogfight and the dogfight is is freaking awesome i mean you you can literally blast a hole straight through the other person's ship and and still not kill them. <laughs> it'll it'll take out like half their systems, right? But but it won't kill them. Um, like if, if you ever played a Centurion or or the old Fassa, um, uh, Crimson Skies, you know you have like the 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 weapons that do sort of uh, shaped damage. Okay. It's, I was a ba- I was a BattleTech guy. I don't think I got uh, any other stuff. Okay, well, like in BattleTech, you could you could blow off you know an arm or a leg. Right. You you can kind of do that here too. I mean, you you can actually you know shear off their engine, and then they're just sitting ducks. Or you can, uh, you can try to take out all their weapons and just leave them toothless. But um, but there are two two sort of great rules. Um, 
you know, like for me, uh, you know, hearing about Red Winter, like the, you know, whether or not to start a bonfire, that's like an awesome rule. Mm-hmm. So, so this game has has two of them. One is the when when whenever there's an a- ambiguous case, always rule in favor of more shit blowing up. Nice. <laughs> and the other one is the ramming rules in space in space okay. yeah, generally isn't that considered like impossible because of the distances <clears throat> unless one ship's completely immobilized right it says if one side is heavily disadvantaged by a majority opinion of all players the player controlling the disadvantaged sign may gain the ability to ram at will by making a speech <laughs> the, speech, the speech should reference the historical context of the battle and should be stirring, uplifting, and moving. The delivery should be made without hesitation with the knowledge that sending crewmen to certain death is required for the greater good. The other Very. players judge the effectiveness of the speech as though they were members of the crew. If the majority of them agree, you can ram. See, that's my kind of game. That's, that's not a competition <laughs> game. That's hilarious. <laughs> no, it's it, this is definitely a story game. I mean, you, you can be... Is it, can is, be competitive, is, it, but, is it set in a particular world or environment? Or set, background? Yeah, so so there are like two two products. The attack vector tactical is set in the ten worlds um, world, where humanity's colonized ten planets and then loses all contact with Earth. Like ships that are sent to Earth just never come back, and no ships mm-hmm. have come from Earth for a while. So. People are freaking out, and because Earth had, you know, the bit better tech and the bigger shipyards, and so everyone's kind of trying to figure out what they're doing. But um, yeah, but you've got lasers and you've got um, rail guns and missiles, and uh, lasers are easy. Rail guns and missiles, you actually send salvos, and that take time to get to the target, and you can evade them, and there's all sorts of all sorts of bookkeeping but um but it's a very fun game and if you play with someone who is not uh, prone to analysis paralysis you can get uh, a dog fight done in three hours oh jesus um i know this sounds pretty heavy <laughs> it's it's very heavy and it's awesome the other game they make is called Squadron Strike. The noise you're hearing right now is Ralph ordering this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ralph is buying this game. <laughs> and I am never playing this with you, Ralph. The, the other game they make is, is Squadron Strike, and that one's a streamlined version of this, and you can actually choose how your spacecraft maneuver. So so this one, you know, it's, it's full Newtonian and follows the laws of thermodynamics and Throughout the rule book, you know, there's like there are sections on like the science behind the heat sinks and the science behind the lasers. And a long range laser is a weight laser of wavelength 2400 nanometers and through a three meter aperture and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, <laughs> well, and this is always my question with some of these games, like for a laser, how does the laser miss? I mean, it doesn't. Lasers right. always hit. Right. They, should, they should always hit, right? Because they always like, hit. I mean, it's basically the speed of light is the only thing that's going to control the laser, I imagine. Right. So, so the laser always hits. It does a variable amount of damage, but it will always hit. That's interesting. So, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and, right and you're the... rolling dice for it? Like, you basically have... Yeah. 
Yeah, you you roll you roll d10 to find out how much damage you do. And and is there some kind of aspect of maneuvering, like when you're coming? Oh yeah. Yes. All right. So so talk about that a little bit. Like, what are so, some of the strategies and tactics you'd want to use? Or well, so it depends on on what ship you have. So there are two sort of shapes of ship. There are cylindrical ships and spherical ships. Uh, cylindrical ships um, generally have much heavier armor on the the front of the cylinder, but they're slower to to turn and pitch. Um, but they're faster to roll. And then spherical ships can maneuver much more quickly, but they don't have as strong armor on any one given side. So, so often it'll be about sort of trying to get your weapons to bear on the enemy before they do on yours, firing and then trying to turn quickly to expose your strongest armor. Or you can actually, um, for against like missiles and stuff, you can actually turn your thruster toward the missiles and hope that your thruster just disintegrates them. Oh wow! Can you can you board your opponent? There are rules for boarding, but it's basically like once your opponent is dead in the water, then you can board them. Is there energy management, or is there some basically you're shooting everything, or is there like some kind of power plant management, like shields yes. get this much and? So there are no shields. It's it's really hard sci-fi set in like 200 years from now. Um, so there are no shields. There's armor and there are weapons and that's it. Um, but there is power management. So like missiles take almost no energy to fire. Uh, lasers take a lot. And then there's a cooldown period for them to, to recycle. Um, and you have reactors and basically you turn on your reactors and they make energy throughout the turn but they also make heat, and your heat has to be stored in heat sinks. Battletech. And yeah, yeah, like like in Battletech. But your heat doesn't dissipate unless you unless you unfurl your radiators, which is the same as surrendering. It's like putting up a white flag because oh, wow. okay. so you your build, radiators so you are, build are, heat throughout the battle. Yeah, yeah. You basically have a heat limit that you're working towards. Um, but but and I mean, what, what happens when you reach your maximum heat limit? Uh, bad things start happening. Okay, so you have a, you have a limited amount of stuff you can do to your opponent. Yeah, I mean it's not that limited. We're talking like you could probably kill one or two uh, ships before you run out of out of heat capacity, unless unless you're all you're doing is you know shooting each other's broken systems up some more <laughs> is there is there is there a human component to the game where like maybe your your uh, commander your ship might have some kind of qualities or your crew can have certain qualities that, yes that crew, crew can have qualities you have damage control parties which can actually go out and try to fix uh systems that have been hit and uh another thing i like is that it's the systems that get hit it's not like they get hit and they're not there anymore you can actually weapons fire in the future can still hit those systems and they will absorb damage but they won't be any more broken <laughs> mm -hmm. so you know that that ruined um that ruined life support system if there's it's still a big chunk of metal there so it's it'll still absorb damage but but does that make it more difficult to repair uh well so here here's the thing the or time does, scale does of nothing battles. Get, nothing gets repaired. <laughs> I guess. 
the time scale of the battles is so small compared to the time scale of like everything else in the game that there's enough information in the game to play a role playing game easily like it has you know how long it takes to, it takes to lay down a hull and how many units of currency it takes to build a ship so every ship in the game has has two values it has a actual currency value that it costs the nation to build it and it has a dueling point cost for when you're just playing a game. Wow. Um, and so, so like you can actually calculate like it takes this many fuel points to get from this planet to this other planet. And so, a, a lot of times the victory conditions are like you have to destroy the other ship and you have an, have to have enough fuel and a working hyperdrive to get home. I see. Okay. Um, but yeah, the you can have you know excellent crew which. Uh, which give you some more flex points. And flex points uh, do a few things. They allow you to you know, aim your lasers at the same point so they add their damage instead of doing it twice to the same area. Um, and they allow you to, to sort of move around your, your guided munitions. Because um, one, one of the, the cool things when you play with, with, uh, with the coil guns and missiles is, is there are these shell star cards you fill out and... You can basically say like um, these these things will hit you if you don't do anything, and then there are areas around it where you can say I'm also shooting some a little ahead of you. So if you thrust this way, they'll still hit you, sure. or if you thrust that way, they'll still hit you. And so you, cool. you you know you can you can sort of concentrate your shot or you can spread it out. And so you, what you do a lot is you use your your um, your coil guns to sort of herd your enemy into where you want them to get them with your lasers or um, oh and, and there there are nukes so you can you can nuke your enemy who who who's making this game it's uh ad astra games okay jason are you gonna buy this game no <laughs> just, just looking at pictures of the accessories people make for it it just hurts my brain yeah, yeah. So, so how does the game look like like from an aesthetic point of view? Well, if you use the base, the components that come in the box... Oh, yeah, let's talk about what you actually get when you buy the game. So when you buy the game, you open up the box, and there are three thick books. The thickest one is the rules. The second thickest is the background setting for the the world. And the right. third thickest is the um, the ship diagrams that you need to photocopy or you know photocopy and laminate to use during the game then you have um a bunch of plastic square chips that stack called stacking chips um and those show your your altitude is there a requirement that before you purchase this game you have to actually mail them a photocopy of your caltech i was gonna say you have to yeah <laughs> you know? The game sounds this sounds really pretty heavy. It it is very heavy. And you said uh, two beers. Are you sure? You sure you want overestimating the amount of beers? No, it's 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 definitely once once you know how to play it, it's two wow. beers. In fact, if if you're playing with just beams, I would say you can go to four beers. Wow. It's it's the it's the seek because because. They they try to make it as easy as possible, right? So, so you put on your ship. <laughs> Jesse, let me just ask you. Like normally, if you're going to drink beers, how many beers would you drink? Like if you're sitting in your house, you're like, you know what, honey, I think I'm going to have a beer. How many beers are you going to drink that day? 
I will drink two beers. And right. give me a so pretty I don't book. think anybody who would drink four beers would play this game. <laughs> it, seems, it seems to me like this game is super complicated. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's not a beer and pretzels game. It's, this it's, this game it makes me think of the moment when my uh, my uh, my roommate in college brought back his thing from or when he had to take organic chemistry and he had this <laughs> module this molecule thing he brought back that you had to have for the class i'm like dude i am never fucking taking that class ever yeah, organic chemistry sucks yeah so it's it's like the crazy class for smart people so so what are the 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 red and the green things tilt and roll kind of thing those are those are tilt blocks so okay. your ship can be Level, tilted up 30 degrees, tilted up 60 degrees, or tilted up 90 degrees. So, Jason, you've actually looked at the... I'm the looking side. at pictures yeah. of it right now, yeah. Yeah, so, the, the, and the, the, instead of miniatures, it uses boxes. But they do sell miniatures, and the miniatures are actually pretty sweet. And then you can buy these accessories that allow you to place your miniature at 30 degree angles of varying types. See, I thought you would just simulate the game at the actual uh, NASA laboratory that you work at. JPL. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sure anyone who would buy this game would have access to a complete like, like astral simulator where they could set this battle up themselves. Wow. Yeah, no, the, the battles play on, you know, on a standard 24 by 36 inch hex map. Um, right, right, right. And now, have, they're have usually you, pretty quick and quick have and you, have, fast. Have you played it? Oh yeah, yeah. I've played it several times. Um, I've played, let's see, five or six games. Wow. And uh, some of them go really fast. Some of them, it's like, like you just sort of charge in at each other, and and you know because you add your velocity to the velocity of your projectiles, they just do crazy mm. amounts of damage. Um, it actually kind of sucks when when you when you hit them and you're like, yes, I've, I'm doing like a hundred points of damage and then after 70 points it flies out the other side and doesn't do anything else <laughs> oh because you kind of blow out the back of the ship that's cool yeah yeah the every ship has like a hull depth and it's like after you do this amount of points you're in the middle then you're on the other side and then you're out of it <laughs> wow so you're talking two beers two beers fun level nine definitely wow. Wow. but you have to be playing with with the right person right so if, if you don't think you will enjoy this game, you probably won't. You and and the, with... the right person is someone who has access to like a mega computer <laughs> or some kind of... No, the right, the right person... It, I think the right person is someone who, who can sort of visualize um, their ship moving in three dimensions. Okay, uh, Jesse, so let's be honest. So basically, uh, you and I are gamers. You say, hey, Dave, let's come over and play a game. I show up. I probably already had a couple beers. I maybe bring a six pack of beer over. We sit down. I, I get my next beer, and you're like, "Would you play this game with me at that point?" And no. you won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> no, I, I, I would not. So you this need is, to be. This like is a game of... I, I set up. I, I set. You know, I, every game I played has been set up ahead of time. Like, hey, let's meet here and play this game. Because you, make, it, them, you, you, you make them breathe into a breathalyzer before the game. <laughs> like this game right. will not start unless you. So ex- explain the APID thing to me. I, I see what you guys talk about. All this, these so. contraptions. APID. What's up? Yeah, all these. So the idea is, you have to have a frame of reference for all your firing. So what they do is they they've created this AVID, which is a 
a sphere with um, six rings, five rings. Let me see. Mm. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six rings. Okay. Seven. Seven rings. You've got the amber ring in the middle, and then uh, above that is blue, then green, then purple, and then below it is blue, then green, then purple. Okay. And you've got your um, six hex sides and six hex corners. So corners and sides are uh, valid facings. Okay. And what that is, is it's a sphere that doesn't move. So while your ship is moving inside of that sphere, that sphere will always stay in the same place. So you're mapping the surface of that sphere onto your ship and vice versa. So you're using that as a frame of reference for how your ship is positioned in space. Okay. But the sphere doesn't move. The sphere doesn't move. The sphere is always pointing in the a... same direction. Okay. Your ship moves inside the sphere. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. There's a bunch of different takes on it. And it looks like a couple, like, I see some paper clips on this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's tracking you, where you track... it starts. Yeah, so when you're turning, you look at your ship information sheet, and that tells you how fast you can turn. And so you say, okay, well, I'm turning three segments. And so say, here, I'm turning three segments. You draw a little arrow to show where you're turning. And then after however many segments it says on your ship chart, you move your ship to point that direction. Okay. Hmm. It looks like it has a really strong following. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's like maybe not a game. ton of people, but a, but the people who play it are big fans of it. Right. I mean, if you're into hard science fiction, space combat, there is nothing else that does it realistically like this. And have you played like the Renegade Legion games and stuff like that? Uh, I, no, I have not. Did they yeah, do my, my, my only my only previous experience doing these types of games was Full Thrust, that's right? I, the old Ground Zero games, Full Thrust game, and that's about as heavy as I needed to get. <laughs> but I was more interested in maybe the fleet battles, not as mm, not the dogfight, right? right. But this, yeah, no, game, this this doesn't do fleets very well. Um, even even Federation Commander, I thought was too technical for me. So there's no way I would be able to play this game. Well, and it's interesting because it, it's while it looks more complicated than Federation Commander, it's also it doesn't have as many rules. It's just that the rules it has are a little more complicated in and of themselves. Wow. So we're talking two beers. Two beers. But realistically. Realistically, no more than two beers. <laughs> and anyone who would drink more than two beers. Will yeah, probably, probably not qualified anyway. Them. <laughs> not allowed to play the game. Yeah. And Probably fun not. gave it a nine. Okay. Yeah. I whenever I sit down and play it, it's it's a blast. All right, Jason, how about you? You got a game you want to review? In the interest of time, I'll I'll pass. I I probably need to be done at one thirty or one forty five. Okay. Um I got a well, I got a quick one I can do. Maybe if we have time you can do yours. So Well Jesse said he had two, right? 
Oh, Jesse, you have another one? Well, sort of. I, I was going to review downtown, but but I didn't want to scoop Jason. Oh, yeah, don't. Yeah, no, that's all out. Okay. Then, then <laughs> that's coming up. All right. So uh, let's see. Well, let's do the ASL minute real quick because I know guys will get really upset if we don't do the ASL minute because yeah. it's a very important minute. Lucas would be heartbroken. I know he would be. So, uh, Jason, is this I've when got, you're gonna? I've got the time code. Okay. ASL minute brought to you by Lucas Stonewall Brooks. So I'm going to talk about mopping up. So mopping up is a rule where. Uh, Generally, during your prep fire phase, if if you are in a building and you have a good order uh, squad, uh, you don't want to have to chase around routed guys in a building. So uh, basically, if what what can happen sometimes is if you're in a building and maybe it's multi stories and there's enemy broken units that are within the building, like yeah, you could try to run after them and try to figure out where they are and try to get them cornered to where they have to surrender. But there's a rule in the ASL that says. Uh, you can basically give up a unit's movement, make it TI, and if it has no unconcealed, unbroken enemy units, uh, you basically secure the building. So based on the size of the building, you might have to have more than one unit because you have to be able to cover the the, the uh, area of the building. But it's kind of an easy way as long as you haven't had uh, no quarter, you can't have declared no quarter previously, to secure a building without having to chase around broken units that are within the building. So basically you say we're mopping up in the building and then it's assumed that uh, the guys that are in the building are clearing out and capturing any of the other uh, broken enemy units that might be hiding on the upper floors or whatever. So that's it. Cool. And that sounds like that saves a lot of headache. (laughs) Yeah, once I discovered that rule, I was like, well, that's why you don't... Sometimes in ASL, you want to declare uh, no quarter because you don't want to deal with prisoners. So when the guys surrender, you want to kill them all. But uh, the problem is, once you declare no quarter, then you can't do things like mopping up. Because they're like, you're like, come on down, guys. We'll be good to you. And they're like, oh, no, we saw what you did to the other guys. (laughs) So you can't do it anymore. So then you have to run through the goddamn building chasing them. So, again, another rule. That concludes the ASL minute. All right. Um, I have a quick review I can do of a game. Let's hear it. Shining Path, The Struggle for Peru. Oh, yeah. Uh, the new OSS version? Yeah, this is from One Small Step Games. Um, so, uh, you know, I I have played some of the coin games, but I'm not as into the coin games maybe as some of my, uh, my cohorts are. Uh, but I wanted to run through this. I, I will tell you right away the uh, nicest thing about the game. This is one of the folio games, and it sells for like twenty-two bucks, like twenty-two ninety-five or something. Uh, absolutely worth it for the money. So there's this price point. We talked about pricing and and the issues with with uh, GMT and and different prices you have to pay for games. But uh, one of my problems with Victory Point games is I think they sell twenty-two dollar games as if they're forty dollar games. Mm-hmm. So I would say, kind of for me, the, the limit is a magazine-type game or a nice small game should be around 20 to 25 bucks, and then charge 60 bucks for the next level, where it's going to be nice maps 
and you know, like a GMT full production game. Now, one of the advantages of GMT is GMT can make a $60 game and sell it for like $45, but not a lot of game companies can do that. So right. what always drove me crazy about Victory Point Games was that they would sell you a $40 to $45 game, and I get it, and it feels it's like it's a $20 game, and that's not cool. So what this game does is generally it's going to follow uh, – Basically, it simulates the conflict between the Shining Path guerrillas in Peru uh, and between them and the government of Peru. And it, it starts from 1980 and it comes all the way up to the present. And for 22 bucks, this game gives you a ton of gameplay. The, the, the components are decent. They're, they're definitely useful. And uh, I think the quality is, is nice. And uh, you're getting your money's worth. So price-wise, right away, I'm excited about it. So... Generally, the way the game works is, let me just run through it. The, uh, the government, the Peruvian government has police units and they have army units. Some are static and some are mobile. Uh, the Shining Path has front units, which are, are like the, the bigger organizational units. And they have cadres that can move around. One of the things I liked about the game, too, was because it's a, it's a one-player versus another-player game, it's basically Shining Path versus the government, it's much easier to get a grasp on what you have to do in the game to play. Um, I was always kind of confused with the coin games because you have four different players kind of trying to figure out how the different abilities or different actions interact with each other. It's kind of nice to have a one versus one game because you get used to what you can do. Makes sense. Dramatic pause to drink beer. Um, so uh, basically, I'll just run through the turn sequence. I think that's the easiest way to do it. So initially, you're going to have uh, random events that can happen. And random events can be anything from cocaine trade being activated in one of the rural valleys natural disasters, uh, air transport, U.S. policy changes, maybe Shining Path gets heavy weapons, so you're going to roll for random events. Then you do building and training. So this is where the uh, Sendero, the Shining Path guys, are going to try to build new units up, and the government can train new units, but they're restricted initially. They can only build one unit until the first crisis. Once a crisis happens, because initially the government doesn't really take the Shining Path seriously. So you can't really build up and train a lot of units until you start to hit, hit your crisis points with the government. Then they all deploy their forces out, and then they enter, enter what's called the operations phase. So basically, this, the Shining Path missions are propaganda, which can increase the, gov the, the Shining Path's popularity or reduce the popularity of the government, rioting, which happens in urban areas, robbery, which is where they're basically trying to get... Uh, I think they're called like action points. They're APs. And basically APs allow you to do operations. They're basically resources where you can build more units or, uh, or do more operations. So robbery is one way. And then there's movement, which is where they can move cadres around. So basically that's it. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. There's intimidation. Intimidation also allows them to reduce the morale of the army, the police, or the politicians. So for the government, there's three tracks for morale. There's a track for army, police, and the politicians. And the deal is you also track the APs for each group separately. So the police have their own APs, the army have their own APs, and the politicians have their own APs. But your APs can never be higher than your morale. So as they intimidate the police, the police are less active. They can have less APs to do things as their, their morale starts to go down. And when they reach a certain point, the police might reach a crisis, which then creates a crisis situation. 
And so then the more crises you have, crises you have, crises. The, more, the more likely that there'll be a coup. So as organizations start to create more crises, have more crises happen, the government could collapse. Or, but it also gives you opportunities because when you hit a crisis, then that organization starts to take the threat seriously. And then you can train more units. Government player missions are civic affairs programs, intelligence, where they're trying to find uh, hidden Sendero units, cordon and search, where they're basically going out to try to destroy enemy units, and then react, where when the Shining Path does a mission, then the, the government's allowed to react to the mission. And so you always want to keep guys on react, because if there's something that happens like, I think it's with a riot, if, if they do a riot or certain missions and the government doesn't react to it, it hurts them even more. So basically, like, they riot in an urban area and the government player doesn't have any units to react to it, the, the people of Peru are like, what the fuck is our government doing? Like, they're just running rampant in the cities. And because the government has no reaction units, then it's they like it's like twice. Yeah, they lose twice the number of political support points. So you want to kind of use, if you're the Sendero player, you want to use up the government's APs so that then you can riot and he doesn't have units that can react to the riot. Um, so then at the end, what you're going to do is you're going to, once you're done with all your operations, you go through control. Uh, some of the cool things are that, that the, uh, I think the Senderos get APs based on what they control, like provinces they control on the map. The government gets, gets uh, APs based on the current economy and their tax rate. So the tax rate can go up, but the higher the tax rate, the more damage it does to the economy. So... The government's always got this trade-off between what they want their percentage tax rate to be, and so that's kind of cool. And thought. Let's see. Um, so they just so morale. Is this a war game? Tax rate, economy? Come on, man. <laughs> well, yeah. There's, there's, there's guns. There are guns. I mean, there is fighting. You do cordon off units. And another cool thing is they have uh, uh, these static army groups. Basically, the types of units are static and mobile, and. and it, from what I've seen is the static units are basically deployed out in the provinces and they're running like roadblocks and trying to keep, you know, they're basically fucking with the, the people and garrisoning areas. But you have mobile units that respond from the barracks to go do stuff. But your army units will just desert at the end of every turn. Like static army units are very cheap to buy. You know, it's a bunch of teenage kids like wearing uniforms. But on a five or six at the end of each turn, they just disappear. They just walk away <laughs> from their posts, and you never see them again. So uh, there, there are advanced rules, and some of the advanced rules are pretty cool. There's a cocaine trade that can come up, and then the U.S. might declare a drug war. But the problem is, while you're getting resources from the U.S. for the drug war, it creates corruption within the organizations because all this money's coming in. So it's very tempting for the police and the army to take some of the money. So you have a corruption level. And then you can try to purge the police and military. There's just, the game has so many different, and like, there's other stuff like there's an actual rival guerrilla group that can come out and then start fighting with both sides to, to fuck up what the Senderos are trying to do. Talk about the spaces a little bit. So it's an area game, right? Right, it's an area game. And it has so you five have, little areas. You have, rural, you have rural, agricultural, and urban areas. So what is the OG, OC, GAR ops patrol? What do those spaces do? Okay, so uh, let's see. Let me go to that real quick. Yeah, I don't have the map in front of me, but I can. So OC is operations complete. That means they've already done an operation. Okay. Uh, 
What are some of the other ones? So that's where they're waiting to do something. They're available to do operations. Okay. So so for the Sendero players, you have hidden guys that are UG. They're underground. Okay. You want them to be available. I think you have to move them to the ops box, which then can expose them to operate. But basically, the Sendero player gets to do all his operations, I think, before the government player can do anything. Okay. This Sendero player always has the choice of whether he or the government player will conduct the next mission or pass. So then, G, what's the GA airspace? Is that where the government goes? Gar- that's Garrison. Garrison. Okay. So that's where your mobile guys will be sitting back. There's a patrol box, like a little circle. Mm-hmm. That's usually where all the static units will be sitting because they're already deployed out there on their roadblocks or whatever their checkpoints. So multiple units can be in each of those boxes, and that's mm-hmm. where the conflict takes place. That's where the right. fighting so takes place. Yeah, basically, if you're going to uh, use units for missions, you need them to be in the ops box. Okay. So what happens is in the deployment phase, the government player begins by deploying any units he wishes from the garrison box to the patrol box, but you got to pay one AP per unit. And while units are in the, the patrol circle, uh, let's see, so you get a negative die roll modifier to mo- most Sendero missions. So basically they're interfering with movement <laughs> in those areas because they're out there, yeah. they're deployed out there. Um uh, then the Sendero player deploys his units from the underground box to the ops box of the same area at no cost in AP. Sendero units must be in the ops box to conduct any missions in the fo- following operations phase. So basically you're saying, hey, these are the guys I'm going to do stuff with. Yeah, and like, um, so let's see, let me think of one. So here's one. Uh, let's do intimidation. It's a Sendero operation. The objective is to attack the morale of the army, police, or politicians, which is going to reduce their ability to conduct missions. It can also trigger a crisis or possibly a coup. So you have to have two cadres in the area. If the army or police are the target, at least one static or mobile of the organization must also be in the area. So you're going to try, if you're going to try to intimidate the police or the army, one of their units has to be in that area. If the politicians are the target, then the cadres have to be in an urban area which is where the politicians are living, you know, from their penthouse apartments they're directing. So each organization may be the target of only one intimidation mission per turn. So I've got two cadres in the area. There's a police unit there. I say, I'm going to launch an intimidation mission. So they all use the same table, which is like a mission success table. And based on the role I get, uh, I could reduce the target's organization's morale by a certain amount or one static unit of the target organization could be eliminated if I get a particularly good role. Let's see. Oh, here we go. So if I actually, if, uh, if there's a conflict, let me look at the MST real quick. Yeah, so it can end up being a shootout, which is I lose a cadre, but they lose one of their static units. But if I get a really good unit result, they lose two static units. And I lose both cadres. So basically, it ends up being a huge shootout between all the guys. <laughs> but you can really reduce the strength. And for, the, for the, the government, it's hard for them to deploy units because they have to pay a lot to do it. It's cool. And some of the other cool things, too, are uh, there's political support. There's, there's a lot of uh, you can like go into debt. You can try to take out loans from the U.S. But there's, there's little things that happen. Like, say you do a coordinate patrol mission, but you don't have any... Uh, all you guys are raw, like the government has morale uh, ratings of like, I think it's like raw, normal, and or line, and like elite. If you use raw guys for some of these missions, you lose political support. Because even the people in your country are like, 
come on, those are just kids you're sending out. But you, so you have, you want to send units through training, so you don't have to send out these raw units anymore that start to get the people upset with you. So it was a blast. Yeah, it, it looks, it looks a lot like a coin game. Like it's, it is, except it's great because you don't have players. the complexity of dealing with a four-player interaction. Yeah. It's just basically one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was fun. And I'm not really an insurgency-type guy. You know, there's, and there's a U.S. policy table, whether they're for human rights or non-intervention or war on drugs. I mean, it all changes. Uh, and for 22 bucks, the fact that you can just get a game and have a blast and really feel like you're you're getting simulating a conflict is uh i think it's great That's so cool. i'm a big fan very cool it's Any brian train from his from his pre-volco period mm -hmm. yeah it's brian train so uh yeah i thought it was great and and like i said especially for what you're getting for the for the dollar it's well worth it yeah it's like it's cool it's a pretty nice looking map too no it's nice i mean it's 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 not it's, it's not abstract yeah, and so you, uh, it's like anything. You want to guard the urban areas, but you don't want to let them do whatever they want out in the rural areas. So once you, some of those valleys, too, that's where the drug trade starts popping up when that goes off. So then you're like, oh, fuck, we got to get out there now. <laughs> so but I thought it was cool how your police and army, so the U.S. starts giving you all this money for the drug war once the drug trade kicks in. And so you're like, oh, I'm, that's sweet. I got all these APs, but they're tainted because it starts corrupting your guys. And I think that affects how your economy works, or I'm not sure how the corruption works. But so, so you're, you're as as more U.S. money comes in, you know, you guys become tempted, and and then you become less efficient. Let's see, corruption's effect is to reduce the effective tax rate by the total of police and army corruption levels. So, so basically, the more uh, the more corruption you have, the less APs you start getting each turn, until you're like, that's it, we're going to purge the police. But by purging them, it reduces their morale. So, so a lot of choices. It was, it's a fun game. That's cool. That's it, man. All right. So, uh, we, how much longer you got, Jason? Yeah, I should, we should probably wrap it up. The troops are getting restless. All right. You can hear them banging around out there. All right, Jesse. Well, uh, okay. thanks for hosting. We appreciate it. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, thanks for coming. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could uh, could talk to you guys. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, well that's it. All right, man. Right Thank on, you guys. Talk to you later. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Visit us at http colon slash slash bardgamegeek.com slash guild slash one six six zero or contact us at advance after combat at gmail.com.